am I chasing a status? Am I chasing trying yeah. to make my dad finally say he's proud of me? Right? Am I actually building this out of revenge because my father never loved me? Like, there's a lot of things that you can really unpack in yourself when you learn to ask yourself the right questions first, 100%. instead of just running, you know, but when I was in my trailer park, the life I lived now, I didn't know it existed. Like I could not if you asked me to write down what I wanted my life to look like when I was 30. There's no possible way I could have wrote down what this life is because I did not even know it existed. I didn't know it was possible because my environment was so constrained to trailer park. And my mom worked at a church and she made like maybe 30 grand a year, you know, before taxes. And so I just thought, you know, that's pretty much the life, you know, like this is just what life looks like. And it wasn't until I started just getting around new people and hearing new language. And I started really just opening myself up very quickly to, holy crap, there's a lot of shit that exists. And I think that really sparked me into what we're talking about here. Where I was like, I want the nice cars. I want the big house. I want all this money. And then, you know, one of the stories I talk about a lot is my last relationship. It was a very big part of my life. I was rich, but I wasn't wealthy. I had all the money. I had the supercar. I had the massive house, but I was poor. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. We've got our favorite guest, Nick Comedina, back with us. How you doing, brother? Good, brother. How you doing? Doing nice. Doing nice. We were just talking about we've got a cocktail. A smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. (laughs) (laughs) Some solid topics that we're both particularly passionate about in this climate, February 2023. A lot going on in the world, culturally, socially, and we have a lot to say about it. So this episode will be posted on both of our channels. So it won't be so much as interview style of me interviewing Nick because we've already done that. Uh, you guys right. can check that out. We'll have that pop up over here if you haven't seen that. This is our fifth episode together now, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But we've only done one like actual like high quality video one Yeah, on my channel. And then other than that, we've done a bunch of audio. So mm-hmm. now that Nick's got his professional yeah, now that, I, now that I'm set up. 
Now that I've grown up a little bit. Yeah, we've got Slumdog Millionaire over here. He's <laughs> He made it. <laughs> I'm over here yelling at Jeremy, telling me to buy a $180 Cam Link. I'm like, dude, are you nuts? <laughs> yeah, you're like, what's the ROI on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I resonate. So it'll be a good episode. We're going to get into uh, quite a few different topics. Nick, anything you want to say to the audience? Before what's we up, everybody? I'm uh, happy to be here. Just ready to dive in and just let our kind of conversation speak for itself, I think. Cool. Yeah. We'll get to it. So why don't we start? I think it'll be a good little intro for us. What's happened since our last podcast? Jeez. That when was, was when was that? Are you, are you pulling it up right now? No. No. No, I don't. It was la- I mean, it was definitely last year. I know that much. It's probably been when did you start your mastermind? Uh November. We launched it November 5th. And Shit. I think we, so then it was probably September. Yeah. It was like two or three months before that. So yeah, it's been a yeah. while, man. So much has changed. Moved to Oregon from San Diego. Yeah. Doing the mastermind now working pretty much 99% with entrepreneurs now full time is, is what I do. I work with either individuals or actual companies and I help them scale their business. I really focus a lot on business energetics, core value integration, and how to really develop the leadership inside of your company to help generate more leads and, and actually grow your company more in the organic exponential route like you and I were talking about and we'll get into. So that's kind of been the biggest shift for me, as well as just you know more spiritual practices and health focuses kind of shifted away from bodybuilding, more on holistic health, longevity, just arguably the healthiest I've ever been mentally, physically, and spiritually. Not no a bad place deal. to be. Yeah, whatever. What's doing with you, dude? Luck just had like a record enrollment date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we found out that there's a massive, I think that's an understatement, but we'll call it a unquenchable thirst for what we teach on YouTube that Mm. isn't being met. And so, yeah, we had our, let's see, we were around 700 subs on the YouTube channel after Mm. like six months, eight months, something like that. Very slow consistent, organic growth. And we did a collab episode with Aaron Abke and he has a 200 something, 202. At the time he had 202,000 subs Mm -hmm. and that drove a lot of traffic to my page. And I just so happened to have kind of a body of work of like 30 videos that I had put out that the world hadn't seen. And it's kind of like how, you know, Gary Vee talks a lot about like attention is like the most important variable, but once you have the attention, content is what dictates success Mm -hmm. or failure. And it kind of reminds me of that because attention has always been the bottleneck for every business I've ever created. It's never been the quality of the work. It's been like, yo, give me a fucking shot. I'll change Mm -hmm. your entire life. But not that many people would give me a shot in the past, you know? So I actually, I think that there's something that stood out to me the most that a lot of people potentially listening don't realize is like what you said, you had a sub of a couple hundred for months of consistent posting. Oh yeah. Like close to eight, which is not a lot for most people. And that can be very discouraging, but then you get your shot and then eyes get to your page. And this is where a lot of entrepreneurs like, cause you know, in our, my mastermind, we take, you know, entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, we help them build their business scale and stuff like that. And a lot of people get in and they're saying, you know, oh, I've been posted on TikTok for a month yeah, and I don't get any leads. I'm so discouraged. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, should I go buy followers or should I go <sighs> like a bunch of people's profiles? So they follow me back. And I try to explain to them, you know, you need to just focus on building the gold mine first. Yeah. 
Because if people follow you and there's no reason for them to stay, they're just going to leave. And we both have talked about this before about Noah's Ark. Yeah. You know, God build it, then they'll come. (laughs) Well, God's, yeah, God's saying build it and then they'll come. Not, hey, once they come, then you build it. Now let's think about the posting as a post in the board. God's not saying every time you put up a post, people are going to engage with you. God's saying put all the posts together so that it makes a gold mine of Mm -hmm. posts an arc of posts, and then everybody will come. But people are too focused on nailing one post of the boat and looking around and saying, well, nobody's paying attention, so I'm not going to build the boat. Yep. Yeah, that's facts. I'm glad you bring that up. And for additional context, the irony is that I've been at this for 10 years on social for 10 years, and Mm -hmm. I was completely content with 700 subs after eight months of being consistent on YouTube. Now, I'm not one of those people who's posting like twice a week, three times a week. Like I was, we were doing two high quality episodes a month. So that's a decent amount to me, but regardless, it it ended up being 35, 40 videos for like a body of work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was barely 700, 750 when we collabed and shout out to Aaron for not being like 99% of the influencers out there who are like, well, you know, talk to me when you have, you know, 100K subs and maybe I'll collab with you. Mm-hmm. He actually reached out to me wanting to collab with me. He's like, I love your work. I've never seen someone combine spiritual. Exactly. It was the content. It's like, I've been knowing who he was for like seven years. He DMs me. I'm like, low key, like acting like a fanboy over here. I'm like, what? Is this really you? <laughs> like, what? he's like, dude, I, I can't love be. your work. I came across someone repost a scam account, reposted my video, didn't tag me. And all my followers started commenting. On- I remember this. Yeah. you Okay. So that was the only reason Aaron found me. So let's think about the irony in that too. Mm-hmm. People get so mad. Like when people are stealing their work or they feel wronged, it was like, well, I was like, you know what? Cool. You Must know what? mean it was pretty good, right? You're giving me free marketing. And people commented, why aren't you tagging at J. Griff, at J. Griff? Mm-hmm. So that's how he found me. And then he DM'd me and he's like, I've never seen someone combine the spirituality mm-hmm. with the common law and the natural law in the way that you have. And so he's like, you know, he was wanting to kind of collab and explore that because he hadn't really told the outside world that he happened to have been like really into that stuff and studying it for a year or two. So that was that. We put out our first video and the channel went from like 700 subs to now it's... Well, the quicker trajectory, it went from 700 subs to over 15,000 in like two weeks. Nice. And that's like what most people are expecting like when they start. Yeah. But the thing (laughs) is, is like, how long did it take like it's taken me a decade to have all of the nuanced foundational pieces to be able to confidently approach the task of how to put out content that's going to actually stand a chance of going viral. Mm-hmm. Like, well, of course, think- you can sell out and do a lot of shit to go viral. But I mean, like in integrity, aligned with your brand and be able to put out something that's of the caliber to where it can actually go viral, like our one video. So we had Aaron kind of turned on the floodgates of like exposure because the world is like, we've never heard of this dude, but they were like super aligned with what I was putting out and were really hungry for that information. So it's not like they just subbed me because Aaron collabed with me, right? It's like they checked me out and it's like, if my videos weren't up to par, then Facts. they're not going to follow. So it's it's not as easy as just like, oh, you get your one make or break. It's like, when you get that shot, you need to make sure you've practiced that same free throw mm-hmm. 10,000 times. Because when they put you in 
and there's four seconds in the game left and you're a rookie and no one's heard of you, you better fucking swish that shot. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing that kind of you brought up and that we're really talking about here is like a lot of people aren't practicing that shot when no one's looking and it shows. Well, I think that people are also trying to, we see this in TikTok, Instagram reels and everything. People are trying to find what the trending sound is. Yeah. And they're trying to use that as a means to go viral. Because again, people think that going viral equals success. They think that if you get 100,000 followers overnight, then you're going to make it. You're never going to have to worry about money a day in your life. I work with entrepreneurs who have one and two million followers on Instagram and are barely making $5,000 a month because they built their following. But they built their... Well, it's crazy for you and I, because you and I are like, if I had 2 million followers... Yeah, what I would get out of that. I'd I'd be a billionaire. (laughs) I would be a multi-billionaire. Legitimately. No No question about it. And... But it's, you can build a following who's not a real following. Because there's a difference between people following you and people following you. And what do I mean by this? You want people to follow you because they want to be led by you. Not people following you because you've got a big ass or because you post ab workouts, right? Because when you post nothing but ab workouts and you get all of these followers and then you try to actually be depthful and sell, nobody's buying because there's an unalignment. There's a misalignment between what you're putting out and then what you're trying to sell. And that's a disconnect for people which doesn't breed trust. And people who don't trust you will not be led by you. And if they're not led by you, they won't compensate you for your time. That's facts. Yeah. So I think kind of, you know, there's a lot of morals to the story here, but We've both had quite a few shifts since the last pod. So yeah, that, <laughs> yeah I explained put all it lightly. That. I explained all that to say that, you know, the YouTube has been super dope. Shout out to you guys who are watching this on YouTube. Totally different type of person. Most of them aren't on Instagram. They're not on any of these other social medias. And I know that because a ridiculous amount of our applications last quarter, the quarter that you referenced where we had a, a mm-hmm. record enrollment by multiple fold you know, we ask them, what is your Instagram handle? Cause you know, we like to do our due diligence. I'd say like 60% of our applicants don't have, an, I'm not on any other social media. So this, this is like an untapped market. And it's funny because like I said, I started trying to make social something uh, when I was 20, 21. I'm 30 and I never got on YouTube. Never. Mm-hmm. It's the oldest social media. So 10 years in, I get on YouTube. And that's kind of what I'm explaining. And I was still willing to be humble. A few weeks before I met Aaron, like before I knew he, well, I knew he existed, but before I, he ever spoke to me, before we ever had a communication, I wrote down 2028 standards. Now I don't do goals. That's a conversation for another day, but standards, you can think of them in a similar way. Now I wrote down for 2028, and this was before it turned 2023. 10,000 subs on YouTube. That's Mm. the level of patience I was willing to have. Mm -hmm. 10,000 in a little over five years. And I didn't just pull that number out of my ass because it's a round number. I actually like extrapolated the math and like went super conservative, not trying to like inflate myself of like, oh, we're going to hit exponential. And then like, I just Mm -hmm. kept it super linear. And, And then that happened. But it's like that type of stuff doesn't come if your expectations are massively inflated and you're not willing to put in the work. I think this is a great segue. And we spoke about how we were going to talk about energetics. And I think that this is actually a perfect segue into that because what you're discussing here is literally your energetics around how you're showing up versus what you're expecting to get back. 
And this is also a massive translation into business and marketing in the first place. Because if you are posting from the guise of trying to get people to sub to you, then your content starts to have an energetic feel of desperation, an energetic feel of inauthenticity. And people can feel that. And this is one of the biggest things that I need to work people through in their businesses as entrepreneurs is the energetics. And we can go down the lack versus abundance, you know, energetic loopholes here. But if you are constantly operating out of lack, well, I need to post this content because it needs to go viral because I need to get a sale. People automatically, even if not consciously, they subconsciously pick up on that energy. And then you're just producing more of that same energy into yourself. So if lack is what goes in when you create, lack is what will come back after you post it out there. Yeah, that brings up a lot I could say about that. I think it might be helpful for the audience to like give, maybe you could pick a story and I could pick a story about our journey with that. Sure. Because number one, we're not saying that we've never struggled with this or went through it. We're just saying that you have to do whatever you have to do to get yourself out of that and Mm -hmm. to get to the other side. And that's easier said than done if you're listening to this and you're like, easy for you to say, I don't have money. I need like I need or you don't understand or whatever. That's the very energetics we're talking about. So it's like, number one, One thing that shot in my mind when you're talking about that is like, you know, in 2017, I really got serious about learning sales, like from people who were making hundreds Mm -hmm. of thousands or a few million a month, like high ticket, stuff like that. Like people who you could say are very successful at psychology and sales. And um, they would always talk about this phrase, leg humping. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. So for the audience, leg humping is this terminology that is used in sales where here's the best way to explain it. Polarity dictates attraction when you're dating, right? Mm -hmm. How many of you have ever experienced like you start talking to someone, whether it's on a dating app or you already know what they look like or whatever, but based on their appearance and your conversation, you're really into them. But then let's say you meet, you go on a few dates or whatever, and they're like way more into you than you're into them at that point. Super clingy. No matter how into them you were before or how attractive you think they are, all of a sudden you're kind of repelled a little bit. It's a polarizing energy because that's how it works. If one energy is stronger, the other is going to kind of pull back and it goes vice versa. And in sales, it's very much so like that. And so this phrase of this concept of leg humping, my first mentor would always harp on this. Like sales is really the art of like, you know, you might be in a position where you're like, if I don't get this sale, I don't have enough money for rent in Mm. three days. But the other person can heavily sense that. It's not just a conscious mind thing. Their unconscious mind can pick up on different cues. And so the energetics are really what dictate the results, even if we're having a more practical, tactical, like strategies-based conversation. People can feel that stuff. And it literally, in a very literal way, it repels money because it repels trust and Mm -hmm. it increases skepticism. Like even if they don't know what they're perceiving, there's like this feeling of why is this person trying so hard? Yeah, That's the easiest way to put it. And so in my own journey, you know, I've talked a lot about how like, you know, I am a big fan of like the eating shit phase of the hero's journey and moving back in with my mom and not, you know, blowing my money and trying to keep up with what my friends were doing and blah, 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 just paying my dues. Well, in that time, 
the most challenging thing for me to get out of was what we're kind of talking about because I'm doing all this inner work on myself. I'm doing a lot of the, both the healing side of addressing the past and like consistent with the manifestation side, because you literally have to brainwash yourself. I know I'm living in a small room with my mother, but this is what I actually feel and am worthy of. And this is reality. And that's a level of brainwash. You got to really get good at that to really believe Mm -hmm. that. That was a big focus. But then the challenges arose in business when it's like, like you have to bring the way I sometimes explain it to my students is like, you have to somehow like lasso the future and pull it into the present. That Mm -hmm. is what it means to manifest. You have to like override your past, which usually dictates how people show up in the present, you have to like time warp to the future and pull it back to the present. And you have to show up as that instead. Right. And that's super challenging when it comes to the conversation of like energetics and, and how that translates to like wealth and business. Because at some point, the origin of this conversation means that you have to get there internally and energetically mm-hmm before the 3D world around you has right. gotten there. The 3D world catches up, but it has to start internally. And so it's a shift that you have to make intrinsically. And I think that's the hardest part of the journey. So like to wrap this up, I know that was long-winded. Um, and then maybe you can share an example. But for me, you know, I'm living at my mom's and my reality does not look like what I'm visualizing every day. And my bank account does not look like what I'm trying to normalize the feelings of. And I went through this period, if you remember my whole thing about when I stopped fitness coaching and I announced it, and I went through this nine month period where I could not close a sale. Yep, I was learning I high ticket this. sales and all of that. And I was trying and I was trying, I think it was like 20 something calls of like very qualified people. It seemed like so many of them were going to be yeses and it was just no excuse, ghosted, like whatever. It was a very frustrating time. And that was really where... I had the biggest like energetic upgrade when I finally realized like all of that was coming from like my unhealed energetics around Mm -hmm. money. And that was when I really got, like I mentioned, I had been doing all this healing stuff and visualizing stuff, but I hadn't specifically just like stopped everything and focused on healing like my money wounds. And that was when I started to go into like, you know, exercises about like, what type of language would your father use when you were growing up around money? What was the mm-hmm. dinner table conversation around money? What were most of your parents' arguments about? How does your mom describe money? Like starting to go into some of this deeper stuff. And then that was when I realized like, oh, okay. So I'm on the one hand, want to be nothing like my parents. <laughs> and on the other hand, I'm literally <laughs> recreating the same exact thing in a monetary sense and expecting to somehow make it and become mm-hmm. successful. So had to get real serious about the energetic stuff and start to show up in a way that was completely unfamiliar. But at the same time, there's no way around that process that I'm describing where you have to somehow step into the unknown, start consistently operating at that vibration, start consistently showing up as that future self, even if you're not fully sure how that looks or how that feels, it's probably going to feel uncomfortable. And you have to stay in that energy long enough for the 3D to catch up to that. Mm -hmm. At a simple level, that's what the process has been like for me. And now it's the type of thing where 
my views, you know, I just went to Dr. Pratt the other day and we were kind of reminiscing on where I was at my first session. I started with him January, 2020. And what I came to him for, I was like, I still have these like money barriers. Like I had this ceiling and I was just kind of, you know, he was asking me like where things are at now. And it just feels like just from January, 2020, I've like 10 X what I consider like, like normal to the point where I don't even need, like, I don't even do like manifestation stuff anymore or really like visualize because like I used to have to try to convince myself and I spent like seven years trying to convince myself and it obviously worked, but also like half the time felt like so much effort to Mm -hmm. like still not even fully believe it, but like as best I could try to believe it. But then now it's reached a point where it's like, it's just a standard. Like that's normal. Like I would be like, it wouldn't make sense to me if that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that is like the energetic journey of what happens if you can flip from, I need, I need, I need to, it's already, if you can understand that you're already everything you'll ever be and that you already have everything you'll ever have. It's just a matter of like manifesting that or allowing the 3D to catch up to that. I think it's a different relationship that you can have with the material world. Definitely. Stop talking now. <laughs> what, <laughs> I was getting worried about you. I was comment. getting worried about you for a second. <laughs> yeah. So I think a couple of things that stood out to me, and, and this is something that I you know, also, it's very, this is very important for both of the people that we serve, right? When it comes to entrepreneurs in their business, something that you said about lassoing that future now something that I have people do. And if you're watching this right now, I actually challenge you to pause the video once I say this and do it for yourself and then listen back is to think about yourself five years from now and just really think because here's the funny thing that we do is we say, you know, I know me in five years will have this. I know me in five years will do this. And then we continuously keep talking about time this way and we forget that the time is passing behind us. So we'll say me in five years and six months will go by and then we'll still say me in five years. So sub, <laughs> so subconsciously without realizing it, yeah. we continue to keep the future that we want at five years distance because we're not allocating for time that's passed because we're in this loop. So I have people sit down and I say, just sit for a second. I don't need you to do this right or wrong. I just need you to actually, you know, that you in five years, what do they have? What are they doing? How do they act? How do they think? How do they feel? How do they wake up? Just literally describe them down for me to all of their character traits. So if you're listening right now, I challenge you, pause this. Even if it's on your phone, pause this and just do it real quick. Should take you two minutes. You You already know. Now you're playing this back and you realize what you just did was you wrote down exactly how you need to act right now to be that person five years in the future. So Mm -hmm. you don't need to wait five years. You can be that person right now. And everything that that person has is a byproduct of their character. So if you can start embodying that person's character, you already know everything to do. But because we keep telling ourselves me in five years, me in five years. What does that even say? That means that the version of me now is lacking. So our entire being is operating from a space of lack because I am not that person five years from now. I am lacking as the person I am right now. So those energetics and everything we do come from lack. So now we're trying to be somebody that we're not in everything that we do. And we're wondering why we're not getting leads. We're wondering why we're not generating wealth. We're wondering why we can't get income. Nobody can trust us. Nobody will follow us. Well, you're being somebody who you think you're supposed to be for that to work instead of just being who you actually are. And there's a massive difference between the two of those things. 
Now, when you can start to mentally rehearse that and something you said, when you're on a sales call with someone and you got to eat, if you don't get the sale in three days, you can't pay rent. Are you in a position of your own energetics? And do you have enough respect for yourself, the business? Because if you bring somebody into your company that doesn't fit with the person that you work with energetically, it will poison the whole lot of apples. Yeah. So are you able to look on the phone with that person or be on the phone with that person and feel that disconnect? And they're ready to hand you a $25,000 check and you're able to still say, you know what? I don't think this is a good fit. Are you able to do that? If you're in lack, you're not. Hell no. If you are in an abundant place, and I know, again, it can be really hard to be in an abundant place when you can't pay rent and somebody's offering you $25,000. Easy for you to say, Nick. Exactly. Look, a lot of your YouTube community does not know who I am or where I've been from. So I, I actually, I'm going to take like two minutes here. I grew up in a trailer park. It was just me and my mom. We paid about $300 a month for lot space rent, not trailer rent. The trailer was paid for. We paid $300 <laughs> for the piece of land our trailer was sitting on. The trailer didn't have wheels. It was on cylinder blocks. And, you know, I grew up very, very humble, learned how to really save gas, what hills to coast the car in neutral to save gas, you know, buy chili without the beans because it was 40 cents cheaper a can. Like I've been through it. And so I've understood how to stretch the dollar and how to really work for it. And I spent a lot of years working a lot of hours for a very little amount of money mm -hmm. because I really got sucked into the rat race, which is built to make people operate off of lack. Because when you're operating in lack, you can't ask yourself questions. You can't make decisions for yourself. You are so frantic about running and chasing the next dollar bill that you can't actually stop to say, am I building something that's actually generating me wealth? Sympathetic nervous system. 100%. When you control the nervous system, you control the person, you control the emotion and the emotions are the boundaries of our actions, right? You string enough thoughts together, you have a belief system and a belief system or is just a subconscious state of being. So if you believe that you are poor, if you believe that you are broke, then you are in a subconscious state of being broke. You are in a subconscious state. Every bone in your body, every thought in your head is going to show you that you are broke and that you are poor. Yeah. It's like you you're practicing embodying being broke, but exactly. it's just practice. Well, it's a let's, look, let's look at what money actually is. You and I share the same methodology around money. Money is energy. Money is an energetic exchange. Money is life force. Money does not change your current situation. It actually just magnifies your current situation. So here's what I mean. If we are in an energetic state of lack, that's all you've been preconditioned nervous system wise. And I hand you $50,000. Now you have more to be scarce with. So two things are going to happen. You're either going to you're either going to panic spend that $50,000 or you're going to put it into your savings and you're never going to touch it and then nothing changes and you go right back to being scarce. Yeah. Because you haven't like you said healed your relationship with money and understood the energetics in which you are operating from. Mm. Underspending and overspending, they're actually the same problem in an entrepreneur or anybody's. They're the same problem in a psych. It's I don't trust myself with money. Yeah. So different you, coping mechanisms to the same cause. root limiting belief. Right. So if you can actually just sit for a second and really think, if you get 50 clients that sign up for you and you're operating fully out of scarcity and survival, what's the first thing that starts going on in your head? Oh shit, I need to really start over delivering for these clients. What if I never get another client again? What if they all leave? I need to make sure that these clients... Like, and then you even get in this thought pattern, okay, I just need to keep these 50 clients for the rest of my life and I should be good. Yeah. And I've been there. So I understand how that thought yeah. process goes. So Very what contracted. Are we, 
So what do we do? We get a massive influx of abundance and then we hold on to it and hoard it and start operating out of lack. And then yeah. what happens? Normal we attrition. cut off the flow of receiving. Right. But normal churn rate, normal attrition of business, clients pop up. And then I see entrepreneur, when entrepreneurs come to me who are already established, they're usually in this cycle. They get a massive influx of business. Maybe they have like a best month ever. Then they stop doing the things that got them that month because yeah. they go, okay, I have this. I need to maintain this. 50% of the clients drop off. They get this massive upregulation of panic. So then they go all in and then they get right back to the same baseline. And then the churn rate happens. And then they just start doing this and they wonder why their life never looks different. It's because you have to really, as an entrepreneur, I really believe that you have to get to a point where money no longer changes the way that you live. Yeah. And you and I are both very much there now. And we're very blessed to be here. I could get handed $5 million tomorrow. My life looks marginally different if that happens. Maybe yeah. a vacation, maybe, you know, maybe go fuck around, buy a car just for shits and gays, because that's more money than I even need anymore, you know? But my life doesn't really change. So I think that when you guys can get to a point where you're like, money will not change my current life or make me any happier because happiness isn't going to be amplified by money, right? If you're waiting for money to change your state, right? Money cannot change a state. It can only enhance the current state that you're in. So you need to get into a state where you're not operating to escape your situation. You're operating to enhance your current situation. And when you can fall in love with just the process of serving the process of building that gold mind and constantly just saying, Hey, when I'm gone, what am I leaving behind? And whoever wants to follow along during that time, that's amazing. But even if I gain 50 clients, I'm still going to keep doing the same thing. And this is where that really embodiment of who you want to be comes into play. Cause you don't, no matter how far along you are in business, you or I are not exempt to this. We're going to experience highs and we're going to experience lows in business still. We got a lot of years left. Yeah. It's not up to us if we're going to experience a high or a low. It's up to us how and who we are going to be during the highs and lows. Thanks. And if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, if you're a different person when your business is at a high and you're a different person when your business is at a low, that's why you keep losing. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. First thing is in the earlier part of that conversation, it sounds like what I'm hearing you when you recommended the exercise for them, which by the way, the five-year, I used to call it my five-year dream life. And I had mm -hmm. all of my clients do it. And I did that over and over and over. So when I talk about visualization, it's not always just like airy-fairy right. closing your eyes. <laughs> okay. It's like, no, getting real practical. Like I wrote out like what my uh, dream woman looked like to a T. I wrote out my lifestyle, like exactly what am I spending each day doing and where do I live and what does the house look like and how's it decorated, like getting you know, juicy mm -hmm. with it. And the business plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It's getting super practical. And most people never even take the time to do that. But that's I'm bringing that up. I just want to like reinforce the practical side that you said, because that's the real way to integrate spirituality and business is the yeah. practicality of it, not shoving an amethyst crystal up your ass, rubbing <laughs> essential oils on your nipples and sitting on the top of a mountain. That's not how you can become successful. Uh, but that is a good time. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you weren't expecting that. So, but what I'm hearing you say is this is the whole be, do, want or mm -hmm. be, do, have principle. Be, do, have. Right. And I think the difference, the nuance here is what I'm hearing you say in a lot of what you explained there, which was on point, is when we want something, we 
automatically as a byproduct of saying we want it are also saying we don't have it. Therefore, yep. we're saying we lack it. And that's yep. kind of at a base level what we're saying here. And so when you're always wanting or needing, it's an ugly repelling energy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just repel other humans on sales calls. The universe is always listening and co-creating to the energy you're putting out. So if you're a wanter, if you're a needer, so, yeah. that's the number one pattern that you should be focusing on in 2023 to heal. Whether mm. it, the way it manifests in relationships looks like codependency, the type of person where you smother them or whatever it may be so hard that they end up rejecting and abandoning you and then you act out that self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's a I need love. The way it shows up in money is that what you described with the whole client situation where you smother them, you try to, I need to keep them around and hoard them. And then they abandon you. It's like, there can be a lot of different examples, but the idea is that it's coming from an energy of not trusting. A, not trusting a higher power in the plan and B, not trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. And so those are the real practical things to work on. But I think it's really powerful. And I'm glad you brought up the whole five-year exercise because that's exactly, I did that so many times. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because shit, I must've been, it's probably been about like six years. And I haven't even thought about that in years. So it's cool mm-hmm. you're bringing that up. The things that I wrote minus like the house and all that, because at that time I thought I like wanted to own a house and stuff like that. <laughs> It's a whole other conversation. When you really, you know, commit to the process, I don't want to say like put your head down and work because that makes it sound like it's a masculine grind thing and it's really not. It's much more of a process for me of death and rebirth. (laughs) I've killed myself so many times. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Layers of the ego and what I thought I was and what I thought I needed to be. And every year it seems like it's a darker, dark night of the soul. But then the other side is like, holy (laughs) shit. But every time it's no easier. Um, That's on duality, baby. Yeah. Like turning at 30, any of like the monetary goals I would have set, the cash flow goals. I don't have any journaling records of all the like six years of journals Mm -hmm. that I had of like writing down the reality that I now have financially because I couldn't even aspire for that. And that's crazy. What's going on, my friend? I want to thank you for supporting our show and continuing to tune into our content. If you've been finding our show valuable, we want to invite you to make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. We are super excited to be starting a bi-monthly free email newsletter in which we will be offering free education on everything from consumer law, contract law, credit repair, credit optimization, tips on funding, financial literacy, investing, all the areas that our brand puts out education around will be taught in bite-sized pieces and this will be only offered to our exclusive email list. So if this interests you, definitely check out the link in the description. You can check out our main YouTube page and it'll be linked in the description there as well. Or you can just go to www.jgriff.org. Now let's get back to the show. You can't imagine a reality for yourself that you don't even know exists. Yeah. Right. You can't like, tell me a color that doesn't exist. Well, I knew it existed, but it was like, I think the highest I ever put was like 50,000 a month residually. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was like Lamborghinis level and shit. Which it is for most. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you can get the craziest car you can imagine for a $4,000 a month lease. Yep. So, but you get what I mean. 
like yeah, you know no i do multiple so, exotics in a mansion and it, like yeah I that's couldn't, not but you know some of that along the way you learn like i didn't want that at all mm-hmm. i don't well, really most people want, i don't really want that i think I most people want it as a way to escape exactly so that's why it's like that was what yeah. i aimed for when it's like young me who's just fucking hungry and tired of being broke it's like that sounds like the best shit that's gonna like fix it mm-hmm. and then between then and the time you get to the five-year plan ideally and this obviously isn't the case for a lot of people but my journey has been you do so much healing for anybody listening i don't think that there's anything wrong i don't think anybody could get that but just in case i don't think there's anything wrong with wanting you know three exotics and a mansion for yourself if that's genuinely the life if you that really is want make you yeah. yeah but i think really really grounding yourself and like what is that am i chasing a status am i chasing trying yeah. to make my dad finally say he's proud of me am yeah. i chase right am i actually building this out of revenge because my father never loved me like there's a lot of things that you can really unpack in yourself when you learn to ask yourself the right questions first instead of just running you know but when i was in my trailer park the life i lived now i didn't know it existed like i could not if you asked me to write down what i wanted my life to look like when i was 30 there's no possible way i could have wrote down what this life is because i did not even know it existed i didn't know it was possible because my environment was so constrained to trailer park and my mom worked at a church and she made like maybe 30 grand a year you know before taxes and so i just thought you know that's pretty much the life you know, like this is this is just what life looks like. And it wasn't until I started just getting around new people and hearing new language and I started really just opening myself up very quickly to holy crap, there's a lot of shit that exists. And I think that that really sparked me into what we're talking about here. Where I was like, I want the nice cars. I want the big house. I want yeah. all of, I want all this money. And then, you know, one of the stories I talk about a lot is my last relationship. It was a very big part of my life. I was rich, but I wasn't wealthy. I had all the money. I had the supercar. I had the massive house but I was poor. This is you in Houston? Yes. I would argue that was like the main season of your life that we were the least close. Yeah. I mean, that's how I was with everyone, dude. I was like sucked into this massive dark hole. I mean, I look back at that now and I even look back at my partner at the time and, you know, I can't speak for her at all, you know, but if for me to not think that she's a completely different person when I am such a completely different person would just be ignorant. So I think it's like, for me, it's a lot easier to talk about how fucked up that whole situation was now, because I feel like we're so far removed from it. But I was such a dark hole. I was in so much shame, so much guilt, so much just hate that again, all the money I was making was enhancing those feelings more inside of myself. I was in lack. Let's talk I was, about that. Yeah. I was, the shame I was, and guilt are the lowest energetic levels of consciousness. Yep. If you, you know, Maslow's or uh, not Maslow's, the levels of consciousness by David R. Hawkins, shame and guilt are vibrating at 50, 75 hertz, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're making all this money. I was doing about 200K on average a month. There was one month where I did about 600K and that was from like crypto and stock trading as well as business. Okay. And despite that, you're stuck in guilt and shame. Yes. So I think there's this notion of, and this was another thing I wanted to bring up on your last riff, of what I'm hearing you say is money, let me think of how to say this. It's quite important. So I want to say it in the most succinct way. Sure. Money does not create wealth. No. Wealth creates money. Well, I think... I think I could see like a duality to both of those, actually. I think I could play duality for both because like I had money. That's the thing right? Like I had money. I just didn't have wealth. And 
you and I are very much in the similar, you know, wealth is, you know, consciousness. What does your life look like, feel like, sound like the people around you, your health, your financial abundance, right? The people that you're serving, how you're the alignment of your soul's mission. Like that's wealth to me, right? And that's exactly what I'm saying. So how can money give you that? It can't, right? I see what you're saying. I think I was just trying to I'm saying a chicken and the egg thing. I think I was trying to play devil's advocate for people who, you know, I've become very cautious with trying to play all sides when I say something now (laughs) from social media. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so you're absolutely right. And I was not operating in wealth or abundance whatsoever. My main operation source was not feeling loved. And I had just a hell of a motivator, this massive lack in me of, you know, maybe if I take more steroids, And then maybe if my business is more successful and now I have the nicest supercar out of the group of friends and now I have the most money out of the group of friends and now I'm, you know, will I finally be like the number one man for her and like feel that. And again, there's nothing wrong with what either of us did. And like back then, yes, it was wrong. Now I don't believe so. It's just people operating at their level of consciousness at any point in time. Yeah. But I, you know, there was just so much lack that even the smallest thing that would give me validation overran me. It controlled me. That's what makes it very dangerous to operate that way when you're going through your life and trying to build a business and trying to build these things. So how did I create all my relationships with clients at that point in time? I was over delivering for them. I was everything for everyone. I was texting them all day. I was on FaceTimes and they needed me. I was check-ins. And I mean, like my phone from a place of like, you're not good enough as is. So you need to overcompensate, right? Exactly. So then when all of that kind of fell through, I actually needed to take some real me time to heal. And about 60% of my clients, 70% of my clients dropped off because they said that they felt like I didn't really care about them anymore. And sounds toxic. Well, at that point in time, I was very mad at them because I was like, I'm literally like, I literally just put a gun to my head. You guys can't give me two months, you know? But I realized, well, I've created this. And this is the main reason I walked away from a multi seven figure fitness coaching business because I had built the whole thing out of energetics. Yes, the energetics were off. There was no saving that company. There just wasn't. I mean, the energetic foundation, all the walls, all the concrete, all the cement, all the paint, it was pure lack and dense shame, guilt, energy. Yeah, the you house can't, was you can't Palo Santo your way out of that. No, no. All the sage <laughs> in the world couldn't have saved me from that one. And so I made the decision and I finally started asking myself, you know, like, what would an abundant person do? Yeah. And then that's what I did. But the money, and I think, again, this is just to circle this back. I think a lot of people think that money is going to change their reality. And it's just going to make the current reality that you're in exemplify what you currently feel. And we both had to go through that. Yeah. Oh, that was a lesson I absolutely needed to learn. And I would argue, and it's like, look, I grew up on hip hop and rap. That's my favorite uh, genre. Not the new, I'm not really a fan of the mumble rap shit. I'm a lyricist guy. Like Chingy right there. That was yeah, my shit, bro. Yeah. That um, was my shit. I was big on Eminem, 50 Cent, Tribe Called mm-hmm. Quest. Really, I was a fan of all of it. My point is like a lot of... So rap exposed... Hip hop particularly exposed me to mm-hmm. these ideas that money isn't what you think. So from a young age, like 12, 13, I'm hearing them say like, you know, especially like a good example would be J. Cole. Like mm-hmm. look J. at Cole's, what his happened. His lyricism is amazing. But look at what happened. He blew up, got everything he ever wanted just to give it all back. And now he's mm-hmm. like rocks the dreads, bought a house for him and his mom, lives where he grew up in North Carolina. Like he had to gain the world 
just to like forego it all to realize it wasn't going to change us. So like I knew that I 100% knew that. I also was raised with a very strong foundation in the Bible and going to church. And so I understood from a spiritual sense as well. But it's fascinating to think about like you can't something about human nature. Like you have to learn that for yourself. Yep. That's it. Pain is the best teacher. (laughs) And so... Yeah, it's just interesting. I haven't heard you like go, well, I've heard, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the Houston phase of your life, but right. I haven't heard about like the money energetic side. And it, it's just interesting because I think that actually came with integration after that because I couldn't see that when I was there. Okay. Yeah. You know, that came with me taking that time to really stop. And that was like after that, for once in my life, I was like, I need to stop running. And I think a lot of times people convince themselves they're running towards the cars and the money and the house and the fame. And and like, that's what I kept, you know, I'm chasing this dream. I didn't realize I was actually just running from everything in my past. Right. Yeah. So the second I stopped. Is really your present. Yeah. Because for almost all of us, the past is what is dictating how we're showing up in the present. Because if we don't feel the the past, we're pulling the past into the present and just recreating it acting. Yeah. And then the future. And then you get in these same cycles and you say, you know, oh, this runs in my family or, oh, I've always done this or I can't catch a break. And it's like, well, stop for a second. Oh, you Mm -hmm. can't. Because what do most people say? Oh, I need to stay busy. Otherwise I go crazy. Can you sit in a room without scrolling on Instagram? You're not addicted to social media. You're addicted to distracting yourself from the thoughts in your head when they start catching up. And then we wonder why we are the, this could be a little polarizing of a topic here, but my heart's in a really good place when I say this. The United States of America specifically, we are the most heavily obese, heavily addicted, heavily medicated, heavily anxious, and heavily depressed in the world. Yeah. Why do we think that is? If we just stop for a second and look around at what's going on in the world, the United States specifically, you know, why do we think that is? I don't think it's that hard to really see. My answer, I would want a whole podcast on that. (laughs) Yeah. And we can do that. It's systemic. And I don't say that like a lot of people say. It's like just black and white. I'm saying that we would have to look at how all of the different systems of society operate because yep. I think that that's really a lot of the answer. Yep. Half of it, Absolutely. maybe. And then the other I, half is human nature. We might be able to dive and segue into another thing we talked about here about questions that we can ask ourselves because just what I just talked about, like, you know, even I know depression and anxiety are extremely polarizing things to speak about. And so I try to really... Cool. Let's talk be, about them. Sure. Yeah. I just try to be a little gentle because my views are very challenging to people. And I think when you challenge a way in which most people have been taught to think for their whole lives, it can become very threatening to the average person's nervous system. So I think the energetics you're in when you say that matter a hell of a lot. Yeah, definitely. And And that was pretty good right now. That was but that was where, you know, I really did underserve people when I was would talk about them in the past because I would come at it very aggressive, very Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it doesn't absorb to people as much. So I'm hey, you know, I'm a jackass. I grew from it and now I'm less of a jackass. And uh so when it comes to depression and anxiety, you know, I really believe from my own personal experience and people that I've helped that it's actually all kind of stems if you boil it down, it's a lack of empowerment issue. And here's what I mean. We're in this society where we are groomed to no longer ask questions for ourselves. You can see this in multiple things that have happened, especially in 2020. There was something very big that happened where people stopped asking questions for themselves. And when it comes to depression, what happens when somebody is feeling depressed? Well, they people say, well, shit, you need to go 
get checked out. They go get checked out and they get diagnosed with depression. So now instead of just asking themselves, and I think the very first thing- Is that what people say? You should go get checked out? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you should go get, maybe you should go get help. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, go see a therapist, talk to them, Mm -hmm. right? Therapist says you're depressed, take these meds. And instead of saying, and not all therapists do this. So I just want to foreclose that. And I'm also not saying anti-depression medication can't help people in some cases. It's been explained to me that antidepressants can be used as a ladder for somebody to climb out of a really deep hole they're in to then help themselves get off of that. And I think that's amazing. But I think that, you know, when somebody's experiencing depression or anxiety, first, we got to look at what those are in the first place, right? They're an emotional experience. So emotions are laid out on a spectrum, right? And you can say all the bad ones are on the left, all the good ones are on the right. And the bad side, we have anxiety, depression, hate. On the good side, we have, you know, happiness, excitement, joy, whatever else you want to call there. Now, only one side of this spectrum, we seem to want to identify and create a story around and carry with us forever. And that's usually the negative side of things. It's usually the ones that we are disempowered around, the anxiety and the depression. Now, if we even just look at anxiety in the first place, what happens physically when you feel anxiety? Maybe shortness of breath, your heart starts pounding. Everything starts... associated with the sympathetic nervous system. Blood well, flows happens... to the limbs, higher heart rate, well, narrowed happens... vision, narrowed ability to hear. What happens when we're excited? shortness of breath, your heart starts yeah, pounding, thing. you start, same thing. So what's really the difference? Well, it's it's our willingness to be empowered through a situation. Now, I'm not saying anxiety and excitement are the same thing. I'm saying whenever we feel the same physical sensations that we would when we're excited and we're not excited, we start to panic and we start to create the story around the anxiety of how I can't do anything when I'm anxious. I'm worthless. I've been battling this anxiety. I have chronic anxiety. I've, you know, And then this story of disempowerment comes in play with it instead of realizing it's just an emotional response that can actually ebb and flow if you choose to not hang on to it in the first place. When it comes to depression, are you actually just taking a second? And I'm not saying that some people don't need meds to help with this. I'm saying, are you actually just taking a second when you feel depressed to examine your environment first. Just asking the question, the people I'm around, the job that I'm in, the financial situation I'm at, how am I taking care of my body? What's the language that I'm speaking to myself? You know, what does my environment look like first? And can I remove myself or change that to see if it improves my current state? But I think people are no longer in a space. And I see this really affecting entrepreneurs where they can't ask themselves questions anymore. We've almost forgotten how to ask ourselves questions because we're used to, oh, you feel this way, take this, right? People think for us now. And it's really like innovation dies, creativity dies. And that's one of the massive things that we're seeing when you just did a massive podcast on AI about exponential growth in society. If you're sitting here waiting for somebody to tell you how to think, you're going to get left in the dust. And then what happens? Now you're more anxious. Now you're more depressed. There's actually studied. Pratt actually wrote this book. I don't know if you've wrote, read one of Pratt's books, Code for Joy. Of course. So he talks about in there how they did a depression. Glad study. you have. <laughs> the, depress- the depression study group where there was a group who to fight their depression, they did antidepressant medications and fitness exercise. And then the other ones just did exercise. After, I don't remember the timeline, but 7% of the exercise only groups, depression came back and over 18% of the depression meds and exercise groups, depression came back, which showed that using the meds, they were actually over two times more likely to relapse than if you never took meds in the first place. I think that's an astounding finding. That's actually pretty consistent across the SSRI literature Uh that once they get you on them, 
now they have a customer because when you could try to come off, you're worse. Yep. Well, there's also even emerging evidence to show that serotonin <clears throat> has very little to do with depression in the first place. They're mm-hmm. actually linking it how, hey, depression actually has, it seems like it has a lot more to do with like a traumatic life event. Okay, well, that's fantastic because now this is even starting to override the brain chemistry theory. Never been yeah. proven. There was a theory and it was a good one. It was You're really referencing neurochemistry, neurotransmitters. Yeah. That's really they, what the focus is usually about serotonin. and Yeah. Well, they said depression was a, was a chemical imbalance in the brain. Yeah. That was a theory and it was a good place to start. And now we're not seeing that anymore. There's new emerging data that's showing otherwise and there's True. no correlation. But what they were finding was when people were diagnosed with depression, then they actually got more depressed because they felt that they were a defective human being and there was something wrong with them. Right. And now this further goes to my stance on it of a disempowerment issue. How could I ever get over this if I just have a chemical imbalance in my brain? I'm broken. So then the question that can be really polarizing is if depression is a chemical imbalance in the brain, are you just born depressed or does something happen that then alters your brain chemistry in your life? And so if something can just happen that alters your brain chemistry, why do we need a pill to alter brain chemistry back when we didn't need a pill to alter it in the first place? Those are just questions that I think. Mm -hmm. I'm no genius. I'm no mental health advocate whatsoever. I've just always been a challenger. I've always wanted to ask questions and I've always wanted to know more things. And it seems like in this current situation of the world that we're in, those who ask the questions that challenge the status quo seem to automatically get a lot of hate and backlash, be labeled as dangerous, disingenuine. And I think that's just a really interesting observation to make. Yeah, this is a loaded conversation. Definitely. Um, Well, I don't say that in regards to the triggering aspect. That's a given too. I say it's loaded because this is another one where I feel like to have to say all I would want to say, I would need like an hour to speak on it because I agree. So, you know, this is the realm of what I used to help people with in 2017 when I switched from fitness, right? Mm Because it was years of helping people and what I thought was change and transform their life and how they felt just to find that they didn't actually feel better when we got them to the, you know, the facade of their dream physique or whatever. No, you've seen that more times than you can count as well. So, I pivoted to helping people with deeper things and more often, like I'll just say that a consistent amount of my clients came to me. This is when I started doing mind, body, soul type Mm -hmm. coaching. And we worked on everything from like dark, like healing, like going Mm -hmm. into dark shit to inner child, the first 11 years of your life or so Mm -hmm. to past relationships to parent dynamics, and then also the visualization and the manifestation while also doing the present practices of shifting the lifestyle and shifting your physiological states and energetic Mm. practices. So, it was a a well-rounded focusing on the past, the present, and the future. That's why I'm such a stickler when we talk about stuff like this, that there's three separate things that need to be focused on. Definitely. It was a very multifaceted approach and I can't tell you how many people started working with me because they had anxiety or depression and I would work with people for 16 weeks and a vast majority of the time, we wouldn't even be two months in and they'd be telling me that they feel like a completely different person Mm -hmm. and they don't think they actually had depression or anxiety. 
Yep. You know, and they would all, this was back in the days where, I mean, 2017, who's really talking about this and the science wasn't there yet. Just like you just said, you know, you're more of a contrarian. I've been the same way since I was a very young kid. I'm, but why kid? My parents yep. hated that because <laughs> they didn't have answers for the type of shit I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're doing controversial shit. This is like pre Joe Dispenza blowing up. Like now, you know, a lot has happened the last five years in the holistic space, in the mind, body, science, even plant medicines are partially decriminalized. So like a lot has happened the last five years. But back then I was doing like stuff that people would tell me like, you're not allowed to do that. Are you a therapist? Mm -hmm. Like I still get that every day. Yeah. So you get it. But like my point is just like I was in the literature myself and I don't need like meta analysis of like. 19 different respected people to say like finally we'll admit that maybe there's some merit to this which usually takes like a decade i didn't need that to be like this is promising research let me try it on myself then let me try it on a small sample size then let me like yo this is really helping people let's roll this out if it's up to science you're gonna have to wait a decade or two well you're also gonna lose a lot of people yeah you know, the conspiracy theorists or the dangerous people who are doing these types of practices, they're usually 10 years ahead of science. And that's yeah. why most people, again, can't think for themselves. So for them to see somebody like you or me and like, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm, you know, well versed to be superior to a therapist by any means. But right. when I get entrepreneur, I actually get a lot of entrepreneurs who work with me and one of my first phases I need to get an entrepreneur through is this. Like, I need you to heal your trauma. I need to get over these limiting beliefs. I need you to let go and forgive mom and dad. All these things because like my success in my business is actually dictated on their success of business. So it actually is in both of our best interests for me to get them those breakthroughs in the first one to two sessions. Whereas, and not all, but most therapists, I mean, what do you make your money off of? Well, somebody coming back multiple times for sessions. So where it would be more advantageous for a therapist to have 12 sessions to get that breakthrough, it's actually in mine and the client's better interest to get that breakthrough in one to two so that yep. then we can start trans, you know, integrating and getting their business in a better position. And so that's where you see a lot of people start getting really upset. You know, you get somebody who posts a review of you on Instagram or something and says, you know, I was going to therapy and I stopped because I started working with Nick or Jeremy or whatever. And like my business completely transformed a new person. And then you get a Reddit thread who goes, you know, Nick thinks he's, you know, better than a doctor and all of these things. And it's, I've never once made those claims whatsoever. I simply just ask. And what's crazy is I don't even give people answers and you coach the same way as me. We don't give people answers. I ask people questions so that they come up with the answers themselves. You guide their awareness through questions. Yes, because when we can finally realize that every single, everybody watching this right now, every answer you're searching for, you actually already know it. And that's where the connection with source or God or yourself really has to be because we're in a world of disconnect. The more disconnected you are, the more easier you are to have somebody else tell you what to do. But if you actually realize that when you ask yourself the right questions, that you get the right answers every time, well, now you stop needing everything and you actually break out of the child archetype that majority of our society is in. You no longer need to be holding dad's leg, waiting for him to tell you if something's good or bad. That's not a very profitable person to have in the United States of America. Yeah, I think it's easy to think that someone's healing us. But even when you do psychedelics, people will get addicted to the psychedelic, right? They'll get addicted to the work or the thing. And like the thing, there's this, I think it's a Buddhist proverb, but basically the idea is that I think it might be depicted in a picture or some shit. I'm totally butchering it, but it's, (laughs) it's basically like this uh, finger 
that's pointing at divinity mm-hmm. and people worship the finger. And it's like, uh, it's just pointing at the real thing. And then mm-hmm. society wants to worship the reflection or the mirror mm-hmm. that's pointing at the thing. Wow, and it's good. like, that's what a coach is. That's what a therapist is. That's what the most guru of gurus is. Yep. That's what plant medicine is. That's what all of it is. So it's like, yeah, it's not you or me doing it. It's like, we're just it's guiding empowering. their intention, their yeah. consciousness into focus like a laser beam to focus on something it hasn't focused on before. And then when you do that enough times, it forms new neural ne- pathways and neural networks. And then Correct. now they can do it on their own. Now it's and that's, a, that's really all that that is. It's not like, I don't know, we're just entrepreneurs solve problems. Yeah, exactly. That's what you right. do. So when you start in business, I had the same issue. You start in business and you're like, I'm going to make all these people all this money. So you have these amazing strategies and skills and approaches and tactics, right? And then what do you find? That's not the reason that they're not having success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you give them the strategy, exactly the play. Yo, you hand them the ball, run this play right now. They can't. They throw the ball out of bounds. <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. Self-sabotage. That's what you run into. I had the same experience when I did business coaching. So it's like, you have to address that first. But then when you address that first, you're just an entrepreneur looking through the lens of how do I serve to a deeper level? How do I get these people greater breakthroughs, greater results from the things that they value most in life? That's all that business is. But then other people from the outside looking in on the bleachers are like, who the fuck are you to think you can do that? And it's just like, look, if we all had that mentality, we wouldn't have fucking electricity. We wouldn't have automobiles. We wouldn't have an Elon Musk. We would never (laughs) be able to do any sort of like innovation wouldn't exist if the who the fuck are you person was our only spring. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it that way. If natural selection didn't weed them out, yeah, we wouldn't have we wouldn't be where we are. Right I have now. a good visualization that I use for this when people say like, you know, how dare you like redo this? Like, what are your qualifications to serve somebody in this way? One, my results is the first thing that I like. I don't need you to trust anything I do. You can look at everybody I've worked with and that can. Oh, man, I really messed up keeping that notification on. You can look at people that you've helped. There's your credibility, right? There's your college degree. There's your accolade. But we're in the society where if you don't have a degree, if you haven't gone through the John Rockefeller (laughs) school system and you don't have a certificate, then you're dangerous. Can you imagine the very first doctor? Like he was like, um, you know, that guy's leg, the bone's sticking out, but maybe I can put it back in, you know, he's like, get him on the table. And he did it. And then over time, people started seeing his work. Oh my God, this guy's a wizard. He can mend broken legs. So then what happened? Some guy came over from another town and was like, hey, will you teach me what you did? And so then he teaches that guy. Now that guy can go fix broken bones. Now that guy's not sitting here saying, or maybe he did, hey, can you write on a piece of paper that you taught me how to do this? Yeah. Cool. Now I'm certified. And there you go. You have how certifications right. happen in the first place. But no, I think that takes think a lot of iterations because that's like a decentralized approach of like, Joe knows how to do it and Keith knows how to do it. And there's only two people in town that can fix you if you fuck your knee up. But then mm-hmm. eventually through enough iterations of that, now there's 50 people or 500. Yep. Then they create, they aggregate power and centralized power, which is just something that tends to happen because it's more efficient. Yep. And then once power is centralized, that's usually when they'll create some sort of certificate. And that's what society, I assume that's where you're going. Yeah, society that's exactly. is like, we can't see outside of our programming that if you don't have DPT or CST or PT or whatever the thing is after your name, MD, then well, you have no credibility. Here's the real 
thing. And just, I want to piggyback one thing that you said about systems when you were business coaching, right? If you run the play, they'll throw the ball out of bounds. People use systems. This is where I see a lot of, I get a lot of people in the mastermind who come from like other business coaches facilities because most business coaches, they just teach a system. Systems. Yeah. And it's, it's plug and play, which is fine. It works for some people, but most people use it. Very few. Most people use systems as an excuse to remain unconscious. Facts. They stop thinking for themselves because, well, now the system's telling me what to do. But then what happens? The system doesn't work. They ask the coach for advice and the coach says, you need to do more. So, okay. So instead of 200 DMs, now I need to send 400 because that's the system. And if the system's still not working, you're just too lazy. And now people are like, well, shit, there must be something wrong with me because they can't even think for themselves that there's just might be something wrong with the system. Anyways, that's my little thing I wanted to just add on the system side of things. I lost my train of thought of the thing that you were just talking about because I had a really good thing to to add to that. Can you refresh my memory? Well, I wanted to say in regards to the systems thing, that's facts and good <laughs> luck. Good luck innovating. Mm-hmm. Each time the world changed, if you're a plug and play, give me the system, run the system. It's like, you don't know how to fish. Yeah. You're going to need to be spoon fed as the world changes, which we're going to talk about happening right now. Going to yeah. continue to happen. Disruption is the name of the game. Happens faster and faster. And if you like the worst thing you can be, if you're trying to be successful is a non-independent critical thinker. Mm. Like if you can't think, that's dangerous. The other thing that we were talking about, let's see, we're talking about having the labels and stuff. So if you're not a a DPT or an MD. Oh, 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 right. Okay. 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 Yeah. So when it comes to the letters across from your name, right? If I... And, you know, now I business coach people and I hate the term business coach, right? I like, I help people do what I do. The amount of, you know, hate I get from anonymous question boxes, first of all, nobody ever with a real profile. I don't get why you do this. Because it's funny. Okay. I like to answer the haters because I like to show everybody how weak they actually are. Yeah. I like to show everybody that they don't But why don't don't you just do normal questions and then just get the question, the real questions? Most people don't engage. Really? Yeah. The society That's the real conversation we should have. People are are less and less and less able to be seen now. Mm. But so when it comes to the letters across the behind the name, right? If I am able to create, because we started Impact Industries nine months ago, right? Mm-hmm. And best business, brand new business success I've had thus far, right? About 2.5 million revenue so far, the brand new business, which doesn't suck. If I'm able to do that, if I'm able to help people and coach people and make that amount of money in a business, and I don't have letters next to my name, then that would mean that every other person who doesn't have letters next to their name can do the same. So what do I have to be painted as? Corrupt, dangerous, a scam artist. Money and wealth has to have some sort of corruption behind it. Because then it makes people feel better that like we have it and they don't because we're Mm. the same type of person. But then paradoxically, what happens is you get this subconscious thought in your head. Well, I don't want to be a narcissist. I don't want to be a scam artist. And if I'm associating wealth with that, now I'm going to keep wealth at arm's length. That which you damn or that's what you despise is repelled from you. And that which you praise flows to you. So if you're, you know, really shaming and, and hating other people for their success, you're going to wonder why success keeps eluding you. Earlier when I was talking about, you know, really starting to get serious about my energetics when I was still living at my mom's house, I a lot of the work revolved around what stories do I still carry mm. when I think of rich people? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like Wealthy. making a 
Yeah, wealthy. Making a very honest list of some of the words I would use to describe wealthy people or some of the beliefs I have about how they are, who they are, etc. And that was very eye-opening because that list was mm-hmm. not very positive. Right. And that's when it starts to get into your parents and stuff because it's like, you know, some of the helpful questions I ask yourself is like, how did your mom and dad speak about the wealthy? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it was always that they were greedy, <laughs> corrupt. Yeah. Selfish, all they care about arrogant, is money. Maybe even narcissistic, ego filled. So obviously, since all humans want at a at an emotional level is to be loved and accepted, obviously, mm-hmm. you're not going to allow yourself unconsciously. You're not going to allow yourself to be the very thing that you hate would be thought so poorly of mm-hmm. by so many people. And that's one of the bigger shifts that has to occur where you have to literally become the person who's not only doesn't think that, but is like adamantly passionate that mm-hmm. it's the opposite. You I have to become that first. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. I, think, I agree. I think a lot of that comes with the territory of being like a thought leader in the space as well. Because, you know, again, if you have an opposing thought from the status quo of what we've deemed as normal, then you're, you know, you're the black sheep and a lot of people hate you for it. And that I think is, I get really upset about how aggressive social media has allowed people to be now for, yeah. for newer, newer entrepreneurs. And, you know, I work with so many entrepreneurs that are just, Jay, if you saw how filled with greatness some of these people were and how just genius they are, but they are terrified to put themselves out there and say their thoughts because of how low life people are just so they have all the excuses and all the ability to be as nasty as they want now. And I think that those like it really, it doesn't affect come at me all you want. You know what I mean? Like, look me up on Reddit, you'll see it like the, You know what I mean? Like, come at me all you want for everything. Like, I'm fully able to accept that people think I'm a piece of shit. I'm fully able to accept that people want to try to tell me I'm a scam artist. Like, go for it. But when you are that nasty all the time to where these new up and coming geniuses of their time can't even make an Instagram post to share that because they're afraid of you, you should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. Like, that is just the lowest of the low for me. All I can say is that those people should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. That's like, I don't know how else to say anything more. Yeah. I think that a lot more of a difficult climate than when we mm-hmm. we started. And then it's like, we're used to it now in a more gradual sense. Mm-hmm. And it's years of skin in the game. So it doesn't phase you the same way. But if you're brand new and you're starting out at this time with this many kind of trolls, I mean, 2023, we have, we've never had this many people with a voice before. Mm-hmm. In 2025, that will be true. In 2027 and 2030. Like, so as, you know, the internet of things continues to expand and the number of devices connected to the internet per person continues to increase and the number of third world countries that now have access to internet and all the things, living standards go up. That means more people on the internet, you know especially with as long as social media is here. So yeah, I think it's just more people have a voice. And so we're seeing parts of human nature that we didn't necessarily used to have to look at. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it kind of magnified. So yeah, yeah, I try not to really focus on that. I did want to Same. bring up one funny comment that I got about on my AI thing yesterday. 
I've noticed that the people on YouTube are so much like I ranked the social medias in terms of yeah. the consciousness level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and YouTube is by far at the highest. So shout you out guys, to you guys. You guys are the best. Yeah. For those of you who can see this, us pointing at the camera right now. Um, <laughs> you guys rock. Seriously, like I'd say YouTube is more like the Pareto principle. It's more like 80-20 of mm. 80% of at least maybe I'm just blessed like because of what I'm putting out where like you wouldn't watch this for let's say... If you're just trying to like waste time on the sofa, like you're not probably subbing to my channel because like you're going to be triggered and challenged and like it's not going to yeah. do anything for you if you don't apply right. you're it. Here, you're here to become a better human being. Yeah. So maybe it's that, but 80, 90% of the comments are like not only like actually giving me feedback, like not just their projections, but actual feedback, but also mm-hmm. like super thankful and just like actually adding to the conversation. You, you two be doing the healing work, you know? What yeah, I'm like, yeah. Like, <laughs> shout out to you guys. So it's dope, You guys are doing like, the work. And it's cool because a lot of these people, as I mentioned, they're not on these other social media. So it's like, shit, I really realized that I've been sleeping on YouTube because there's this whole... Same. It seems like the people I resonate with most are the YouTube peeps. It's like the mindset you're in to go on YouTube is, sure, you can just fuck off and let me look up some mindless shit. But also, a lot of it is education. Like, you're there to learn. Yeah, But on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, most people aren't there to learn. No, they're there to to engage and numb themselves. Right. (laughs) They're there to escape what they hate. Right. So a funny comment uh, that I was bringing up is, so yesterday, at the time of filming this, I put out the AI masterclass. Highly recommend you guys check that out. And that masterclass was... Anyway, we'll just put it like this. I called it a masterclass, right? Because it was an hour 45 of information that I've never seen shared publicly, like resources, stuff like that. Just stuff that people are normally like, you know, you have to join my course for this or you have to pay me for it. I wanted to put it out for free. So I called it a masterclass. It's called the AI takeover is here. Cool. The AI takeover is here. Check it out, guys. We'll link it right there. And the funniest comment, it was the only negative one. (laughs) I, I don't really, it was really negative, but it just said something like, it said, this was a masterclass on hubris. (laughs) not AI or something like that. Yes. And I just thought that that was funny because we were just talking about like people's people giving their opinions when you put yourself out there on social media. And people, we can only view the world through our beliefs, right? So we filter the world through our beliefs of what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's desirable, what's undesirable, what's triggering, what's not triggering, what makes us feel good, what makes us feel bad. So then you know, this certain type of person on social media, they don't have the emotional intelligence to not spew that. They don't realize Mm -hmm. like they can't read the room. (laughs) They don't realize like you don't particularly give a shit. (laughs) And like Mm -hmm. you didn't ask for their opinion. And like, it's not adding any value to the conversation, but they have to kind of project to defend that belief system that feels threatened when they watch that. Or in the case of a comment like that, I mean, that's just a silly comment. I laughed at it. Uh, It was actually funny. Maybe he was just kidding around. But even that, what does that tell me? Well, that tells me that that person is, I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that that person isn't successful in life. And I don't mean that in a monetary sense. I just mean they're not actually doing what they really want to be doing on earth. Because if you look at someone who's in their lane, putting out and whatever that is, right? Literally, whatever the topic but they're doing what clearly fulfills them and they're trying to help people. And you look at that as, who the fuck are you? It's like, 
Once again, if we had that mindset, you'd be using fucking Flintstone to try to cook your dinner. Like that is such a nihilistic, cynical mindset that will cripple you. That will, that is depression to me. That mindset. But unfortunately, unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, I don't know. I, I don't think we're this far yet for me to be able to determine this. I think, you know, my core wants to say, unfortunately, but we need them still. You know, there needs to be, everybody has their role to play in society. And, you know, for any aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs here, there is no such thing as a success story that doesn't have haters involved. You look at every single person who has been successful. They always talk about the haters, the people that doubted them, that told them they were stupid, that told them that they couldn't do it, and they persevered through it. So for us to think that we're starting a new business and we don't want to start it or we don't want to do this idea because we're afraid of those haters... Like you're letting them win. Their only role there is to be that part of your success story. So if anything, you're like, thank you, because now I know that my success story is happening because a success story doesn't happen without haters. Like my haters are a crucial part of my ability to have a success story in my life. Mm. The word haters makes me laugh. <laughs> I know. Haters are my motivators. But everybody, everybody can everybody can digest it when you say haters. Yeah. You know, now, do I really hope that there becomes a time where more people are more willing to maybe do the inner work? And so we stop seeing that happen? Sure. But is there always going to be people who don't believe in you? Yeah, there will be. I think that whenever you go to post anything on social media, you have to realize that that is an open-ended invitation for anybody to leave their unsolicited opinion, advice, or thoughts on your shit. That's just social media. It's a public invitation. So yeah, can't get, can't get. Yeah, mad I think them. we're really just talking about the ego here. It's it would Definitely. be very naive to. There's really no other conversation. Um, yeah, it just is that. And mm-hmm. as humans, oh, it's really weird. I was about to say humans will always have an ego, and then you know I have AI on my mind because of all the research I'm doing, and I'm like. Oh. <laughs> Should I not go on the record saying that? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, they're going to get you. So anyway, I'll just for now say that, you know, as long as humans have egos, every ego is different. Every ego Mm -hmm. is the center of its own universe. And that's really all the conversation is. So yeah, I don't like giving. mm. This is a good segue for ego right now, because I would like to touch on, we talked about like how men are having a harder time when with this new emergence of the empowered woman. I think mm-hmm. you and I had put that down to kind of talk about. Yeah, um, I think I it's think more of, complex than that, but that's for of sure. Course, thread. It's just a good segue. You know, I think that when you look at a society that's been extremely hyper masculine for a very long time, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily go gender equality because I do think that each role has a vital part to play. I don't think like I think from a conscious like value sense, men and women are obviously equal. But I think as like seeing my woman as like my total equal in all things doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, do I see Jesse as my equal for physical exertion if we're in a fight? No, no, right? Do I see what her does as my... equal mean? That's a really good question. Counterbalance, balancing. I mean, everybody could have their own definition of that. So I'm a universe and a nature guy. Like mm-hmm. I base my life off of what principles works in all of the universe. Because if it Mm -hmm. works, if it checks out for every species, it's probably pretty good for me to align with that. So I go off of universal laws and such. So if we look at nature, where is there equality in nature? 
these are just thoughts. I'm not like, I don't have a point. I've never spoken on this. Oh, before. I, thought, I, I didn't know if you were pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> no, no. I'm just think like, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just like, well, what the fuck is, cause I don't really well, pay too much attention to the narratives out there. Right. Mm-hmm. But well, let me tell you, and then we can have a conversation to, about it. Well, I know equality is a big one. So my question is like, well, that was honestly just a small blip on the radar of what I was even getting into there. Okay. Um, Cause well, I was actually for the audience. Yeah. True, something to I, think on. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. The thing I think we're seeing the most right now is men are trying to gaslight the women because there's a massive like feminine uprising happening. I think a lot of women are starting to be empowered. They're starting to be a lot more selective of the male partners that they choose. And so now you have this society of men who have never needed to do the work who have never needed to become better versions of themselves because they've been able to emotionally abuse the woman in their lives to keep them small. And now those women are saying, I'm done and they're leaving. And these men are going, they're crazy. Women are insane. They're all spiritual. They don't know. Like women aren't, I just see it in all these podcasts now. Men are trying to damn women for women saying, yeah, I'm more attracted to a man who's in shape, successful and has money. And they're starting to get all upset with them. And that's always been the case. It's always been the case. That's a law of nature. The male who can provide the most security and safety is is the alpha male. And that's, you know, he's going to get the female. Yeah. And I think that now that more women are starting to wake up and be empowered, it's starting to disempower a lot of men who have not done the work because now they're not getting any women. And instead of actually stepping up and saying, man, maybe I do need to heal and become more emotionally intelligent and actually stop working from my dad and sleeping in my parents' basement and actually you know, create a life for myself that somebody wants to be a partner in, mm. they're throwing a fit because most of the men in the society are stuck in the child archetype because they've never had to do the work because they've been able to kind of overpower a woman in their lives to keep that woman playing small. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So it's That's- hard. Did you have more to say? I was just going to say every man is sitting here saying like, it's not fair. It's too hard to keep up with women now. And it's like, sure, you can either accept that it's hard and do it, or you can accept that it's hard and not do it. What does fair mean? Well, that's, I don't believe this. This is just what I'm seeing for people, right? I'm it's not right. And I'm just trying to talk as if I were empathizing with them. You know, mm-hmm. it's not fair for women to all of a sudden become empowered and not want to sleep with me because I'm 30 pounds overweight, make under minimum wage and don't have a vision for myself. Like that's not fair. How is that not fair? Yeah. Like you have sex with a woman, she can get pregnant and bury your child. Why would she want to bury your child? It sounds like you said bury. <laughs> yeah. Super <laughs> savage. Either one. <laughs> if you don't act right. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is, I'm loving how uh, whenever we link up, we just go only into the polarizing convos. It's great. That's the best. I think for whatever reason, not a lot of people want to speak on it, but no. Well, we like to. Yeah. They think they're important. And I think that there's two choices that people have when they get triggered. They either get triggered into a fence or they get triggered into an evolution. That's it. What people choose to do with triggering information, it's not really our priority. It's not our obligation, right? It's not our responsibility. I think if we're delivering it, which I, I think we've been doing a very fair job of delivering things very gently and very grounded. Yeah. I haven't seen this side of you on a podcast. A Usually you're a lot more <laughs> abrasive yeah. trying to piss them off. Well, so. And that's where, again, my own ability to look at myself and being like, man, you know what? I've really been quite the pompous asshole with a lot of public yeah. speakings that I've done. And it's actually because why am I doing that in the first place? Well, looking back at it, was I 
trying to say something super aggressively so that maybe it would go viral. And then I would get, you know, instead of, well, now most people listening to the podcast might not even be getting the genuine message I'm trying to get them and how to empower themselves because of how I'm delivering it. So can I check my ego and deliver it a different way? And that's definitely something I've been consciously trying to do better at. Well, shout out to you because thanks for uh, seeing. I feel seen, Jeremy. Thanks for seeing. Yeah, it's no, it's noticeable. Because like, here's the thing. I know you, mm. but I know a different you than, you know, you'll sometimes show on an rant or whatever. So then you yeah. have people like, how does this guy fit on your podcast? And I'm just like, look, we're all on our own journey. And if you happen to get go off on an egotistical rant, which I agree with, and I have an ego too, <laughs> but you're like super in your ego when you're saying it delivery wise, right? And then that's someone's first, you know, perception of you. Look, we all have egos, but yeah. yeah so and I think what you're saying is spot on. It's like the energy that you're in when you share these things is everything. And I think that's why I get away with a lot because I'll come with extremely grounded, open energy. And I'll usually lead with like, look, this happens to me too, or Mm -hmm. here's how I fucked up or here's what I'm doing. But then, but here's the fucking like rip the bandaid off. Here's the harsh truth. Yeah. And that's usually my style. And for the most part, I don't have a Reddit page about me and everything like that. So I think you're onto something with just being more, you know, less in that eye construct energy of like, I have this point to prove and more mm-hmm. of like the questioning, curious mm-hmm. energy of like, let's talk about it. What's going on, guys? We just wanted to take a really quick break from the show to thank you guys for all of the continued support and let you know that we are really prioritizing growing this podcast in both audio and video format. And on that note, we are wanting to connect with you guys on YouTube. So if you have been following along to our podcast on whatever audio streaming service that may be, we want to make sure that we're also connected on YouTube as we are putting out exclusive video only content on YouTube. And we're also going to be doing some giveaways in the near future. So we want to make sure we're connected on there for those of you who would like to be. And you can find us at youtube.com slash official. All one word, no special characters. All right. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. We could not do this without you. Now let's get back to the show. And I think that a lot of times people get stuck in because it was really easy for me even just a year ago to get really stuck in the way that I would deliver things and say, like, you know, if you can't handle the truth, you're a fucking pussy. Right. You know, like I think that a lot of times people always cling to your past. Right. Whoever has that impression of you of how I mean, there are people who talk about me who didn't even know me past high school and they have opinions about me still, you know, yeah. and really grounding myself in the question of, well, if people can't change, what's the point? Like if we really can't change, grow and evolve, what's the point? And another question I've asked myself a lot recently is if we're not having fun, what's the point? So if I can't change to be better and I can't have fun in the process, then what the fuck am I even doing here? Like, have you seen Soul? by Pixar? Yeah. Okay. There's a quote, a little story in the movie, movie after. Amazing movie. I cry every time. There's a part of the movie where he finally gets, you know, his debut and he plays and he walks out and he's like, man, I've wanted this my whole life and I thought it felt different. And she tells him the story about the fish, right? The fish swims up to the fish, says, hey, I'm I'm looking for the ocean. And the other fish looks around and says, you're swimming in it. And the fish says, this? 
this is water. What I want is the ocean. That's so powerful. What, it's so powerful because we want this amazing life destination and we don't realize that life that we want is literally happening right now and we're just ignoring it. And yeah. we get stuck in our egos and we start having all of this hate and shame and our energetics are completely off. I'm so grateful for Jesse as a partner because she is one of those people in my life that has just really grounded me back down to earth in the present to actually just go outside and sit in the grass for a second and look at how beautiful the day is and really just have like an awe of a beautiful sunset again and yeah. like really ask myself, you know, and clients come to me and they're like in shambles and anxious and I'll stop them. I'll be like, are you having fun right now? You know, like literally, what are you doing? Why are you spending your whole life stressed out? Yeah. For nothing. Like you're missing the whole point. So oh, trauma will have you living like that though. It'll have yes. you believing that that's how you need to spend your whole life, like punishing yourself because you're not worthy. Which is a disempowered standpoint. Yeah. And that's why I dedicated my life to energetics, perspective, empowerment, and how to integrate that into business to generate wealth for yourself. Because that, that was my combo. journey. Yeah. yeah, that was my journey. Yeah, it's all connected. Business is personal, as I think Amanda Bucci says that. Well, you've been in business ever since the day you were born. If you've been following Jay Griff, you know all about that. <laughs> okay. Hey, cut the umbilical cord. Ching. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to definitely circle back to this because it was worth it. Let's do it. it. Worth touching on. So you brought up quite a few polarizing, but in my opinion, truthful takes on the whole masculinity conversation. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And how like, there's a few things that came to mind and I want to overlay this through the fourth turning kind of thesis. And then maybe that mm. can segue us into like AI and such. But so have you heard this phrase and I'm going to butcher it, but the essence is strong men create good times. times, create weak men, yeah, weak yeah, yeah. men create hard times, hard times create strong men. Yeah. It's a cycle. So that really explains why fourth turnings happen, right? We have a first turning, second turning, third turning, fourth turning, each one's 20 to 30 years on average demographic cycles. So the total of a full turning, you could say is 80 to 120 years. Mm -hmm. But the research of fourth turnings, and if you read the book and such, extremely thorough, I think it's like 600 years of history. But the research on it goes deeper than just like understanding like the timelines. It goes into each turning and it goes into like psychology and tendencies and such. So every turning, first, second, third, fourth, and repeating has a specific archetype. Mm -hmm. So I heard you bring up like the child or the wounded child or whatever archetype. Yep. And it's like, well, our parents grew up in the, let's see. So when they were coming of age and having kids, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And those were some of the most prosperous years. Minus like, I think there was a gnarly crash in 89. There was obviously the dot-com bubble in 2000s and mm -hmm. then 08, but that's a little 08. bit past it. So really it's like you got the dot-com bubble and like some crazy stuff at the end of the 80s. You know, the whole hyperinflation in the 70s and such, but they weren't really having kids there. I don't know. My parents were born in the 60s. So not really having kids yet. So really, we're just talking about not much hard time. So in like two decades, we have not much crisis. And like that was an exponential rise, right? Think about like that was when, I mean, we're kind of going through it right now. I would compare the 80s and 90s for tech 
where we are now with AI and crypto. Can you mm-hmm, kind of see that? Definitely. So it was a really prosperous time of like not fully mainstream yet, but like shit is booming. And then quantitative easing is basically on permanently back then. They might have turned it off during 89 and then dot-com bubble, but you, you know how it goes. So yeah. money printer was going for a long time. And so it's like up only, you know, it's not a meme. I'm using a lot of sling, but that's kind of that time. So what I'm explaining is that the archetype of our parents And then let's go back one more. Their parents went through the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So hard times create prosperous. What was it? Hard Hard times times create strong men. Create strong men. That's my grandpa. Fucking savage. Like on both sides, like multiple cancers, lupus, like Parkinson's. You'll never hear him complain. He's like opting out of chemo, just like thug. And just like that, like his pain tolerance must be fucking. Yeah. Right. right. So that, and then, and then our parents grow up in this time where they don't understand uh, our, parents struggle are our parents like that. Yeah. They're entitled. And that's really weird to say, but like, but it's I'm 30 true. now. So it's, I have more of an adult relationship with them, but you don't realize that when you're their child, but parents are entitled as fuck. Look yeah. at all the things that the baby boomers fucked up. For example, if you're on the climate change and all of that, like worrying about what are we going to leave future generations, the baby boomers screwed us more than any other generation in mm-hmm. terms of the systems that they set up and how much they took with without reciprocating from the earth. So that's that. They created them weak. And then we're the offspring of that. Mm -hmm. So we are the hero archetype. The hero archetype it talks about, which I fucking love because I'm obsessed with the hero's journey. And it's so applicable to everybody's journey and business journey and success journey and all the journey. It's the human story. I think it's more than the human story. I think there's something spiritual to it. I think it's like the universe's story. Yeah. So beautiful. I like that you said that. Thank you. I've thought about it so much. So we're their offspring and we're in a sense like fucking weak. We're Mm. super weak because our parents were so entitled. And when you have like entitled Mm. weak parents, what are you? Mm. Even weaker. Mm -hmm. So like we're like that. But here's the thing. We're in the end of a fourth turning. Yep. And we're experiencing catastrophe and systems collapsing and a 2020 crisis. And we're about to have an economic crisis. And then we're going to have a system and regime change. And we have all the things that my brand teaches on this decade, like a lot's going down if you haven't noticed. And if you don't pay attention to what's coming down the pipeline, the hero is born. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what their research is about, which is fascinating, which means that it isn't just that like time creates cycles. It's that humans over time create cycles because human nature works in these like cyclical manners. Question. Our grandparents created a little wikis because they did such the a good dickies. job in the Great Depression surviving because mm-hmm. that's what we do. They were more in touch with their animalistic lower self, just going to survive the that's what humans do best. And then their kids know nothing about that because yep. they grandma. fixed it. You know what I mean? And then like, think about like World War One, like they went through some crazy shit. Yeah. Then, war, then our parents, they don't like, my dad didn't go to war. Nope. He had a cushy office job. He had a Mustang when he was a young kid. Like, you know, what did his parents have at 18? So it's like that. And then we're the next iteration, you know, like I had a fucking Game Boy Color and a PlayStation and like, you know, never had to worry about like violence and like it's cushier and cushier. So then, but it's not that it just keeps getting that way. This is kind of Mm. the last thing I wanted to like come full circle on is like when you were bringing up the masculinity stuff, I think a lot of people's take on this is just that like, we're going off a cliff. 
And that's why I like to study history. There is no such thing as just like down, down, down. Like there's no such thing as up no. only the same way there's no such Everything's thing as down cyclical. only. It's a moment in time. Mm. So we're judging the end of a fourth turning and how many like beta men there are. We're judging it as if like, you know, you go on YouTube and like the, you know, the clickbait is going to be like the fall of masculinity. Yeah. Or like (laughs) in 10 years, men won't exist. There will only be women. And it's like, (laughs) you're stuck. Crack a fucking history book. Like not the ones they give you in school. Hell no. Like just go study Rome. Mm -hmm. Study like Roman civilization or like just the last like, Study the 1800s and, and 1700s. Like, just study some form of 100-year snapshot and you'll see, like, this is nothing new. Things go in cycles. So, to wrap up what I'm saying, we're at the end of a fourth turning. And even though our generation is really weak in terms of the men, when I say weak, I guess I'm just referring to ability to handle Maybe. adversity. Yeah, And like temperament at the same time, we're the only of the four first turning, second turning, third turning, fourth turning. We're the only of the four that is both handed a shitty hand because like we're the ones who are coming of age during the collapse of a hundred year (laughs) cycle. Mm -hmm. That's not for the weak. That's why it's it's the hero archetype. And I'm not saying everyone who's a millennial right now, which is what I'm talking about, me and Nick, everyone who's a millennial right now is going to be a hero. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this is what the trends Mm -hmm. tend to show. We're both handed a really shitty hand in the sense that like we're weak, we were enabled, we don't have that tolerance for adversity and all of that. And at the same time, we're the ones who are of the prime age, financial status and decision-making time of our life to where the ball is in our court when society goes through this collapse and rebirth of systems, Mm -hmm. usually headed off by either a world war, a revolution, or some sort of catastrophe. Now, we saw that in 2020 in a health sense, virus sense. Then we see that in 2022 in a financial sense. What do you think is coming down the pipeline? So... I think it's just a fascinating conversation around Mm -hmm. like men are really, we've just become more like fragile and weak. And I don't think it as like, there's definitely something to be said about the agendas out there. What's in our food, our exposure to estrogens and xenoestrogens. And and then also the media is doing its part to normalize that you can just be what you want to be. Of course, all that's true. But if we weren't in a fourth turning, if our parents didn't grow up in a third turning, if their parents didn't grow up in a second turning, what I'm getting at is that this is just a snapshot in time. And Mm. a lot of people I think are overly pessimistic and cynical because they don't have that Jay Griff zoom the fuck out (laughs) kind of like macro perspective. I always like to look at things more zoomed out. It's like binoculars versus a microscope. In 10 years, we won't be having this conversation because guess what, guys, whether you're going to perceive this positive or negative, it is what it is. This decade is going to be extremely challenging Mm -hmm. for almost everyone. Mm -hmm. Now, how you respond to that challenge dictates whether or not you're a hero or, you know, maybe you resonate more with not rising to the occasion and you're more of the entitled type. But I'm just saying that change is going to be, there's going to be a lot of change this decade. And I think we as men have an opportunity to understand our grandparents at a deeper level because Mm -hmm. quite frankly, 
from zero to 18. What the fuck did we have to go through other than like some like money issues? Or childhood trauma or like crisis, distress. No, nothing. We had 9-11, which was pretty intense. Let's um, remove I think was... like the emotional part because we do all have trauma and I'm not sure. minimizing that. Sure. Outside yeah. of that, like on a more I'd say, 3D you know, level. We had 9-11, the war in Iraq, but outside of that, and like right. that wasn't... You look at the scope of that and don't get me wrong, that was serious. A lot of people died, but you look at the scope of that compared to like, like what grandparents went yes, through. I like mean, it's, World it's, War One, Great yeah, Depression. We also had flesh the, this black... What was it called? The stock market crash of 19... We had a lot of crazy shit go down after the Roaring Twenties. The biggest one day drop ever in the spy, the Dow. Then we had this influenza, the Spanish flu, like in that 10, 15 year period. We had that crazy health thing. We had World War One, and then we had the Great Depression. That's a banger to grow yeah. up through. So that obviously made them tough as fuck. But there's downside. I'm not trying to glamorize it. Obviously, if anything, there's more downsides than upsides to having to grow up through that. But one thing you can't say is that doesn't develop strength, character, and tenacity. Mm-hmm. So that was just more prevalent you- back then. And we haven't seen it in so long because of how good of a job they did at handling that. And mm-hmm. we learn from war. It's not normal for humans to go to war come out of it and be like, ah, who's next? (laughs) Like you're good off that for a while. Like you just saw your fucking brother die. You just shot someone in the fucking head. Like you're good. So like then times get pretty good. They get pretty cushy. We're like, let's try peace for a while. (laughs) That would suck. And the economy follows, you know, typically if there's not war tensions and such, generally humans build and improve. So keeps inflation in check reasonably. War usually fucks inflation. So, you know, we start having some good times and then we definitely had World War II and such. But after the Bretton Woods Agreement, it's like what? 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Those were cushy years. The 50s and 60s, we got the whole free love movement and all that. Acid was LSD was free. uh, Sorry, not free, but legal for I think it was five years, four years. It was legal for a minute. Free love, all that. Woodstock, hippie, all that stuff. People starting to have more fun in society. Women starting to express themselves, whatever. So that's 60s. Then we got 70s, you know, rock and roll, a lot of marijuana culture taking huge strides. Nothing crazy going on, minus a lot of inflation in the 70s, but I think people were lit. So, <laughs> and then uh, 80s, 90s. So you kind of see what I'm saying. Like if you compare the first half of the century to that, it's like that's incomparable. Mm-hmm. And you don't want times to be like, tough all the time. I'm just saying it's that contrast. And I think it's hard for men of our age, and I'm speaking for myself, like how much can we really relate to our grandparents and great grandparents? Like that w- they're a different fucking breed, dude. They're a mm-hmm. different kind of man. Like my well, great grandma or sorry, my great grandpa, I remember visiting him because he had Alzheimer's. By the time I was of consciousness, he would get my name wrong. But regardless, they wanted me to spend time around him. And he was a big fucking man, dude. And I remember he had these crazy hands. So this dude is like in his, must have been like 89, 90, huge hands. And he had fucking like Parkinson's, doesn't even know my name, right? Crushing grip. And my dad used to tell stories about that, just the grip strength. And I feel like that's a metaphor for like the type of man that he was. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just a different breed. So though we're becoming more, you know, we sit in offices all day and we don't do hard labor and we our living standards rose and everything like that. 
that doesn't mean that we're just going cushier, 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 cushier until men wear, you know, mascara, eyeliner and clown makeup and call themselves whatever they want to identify as until we go off of a cliff. We're in a specific time right now because things have gotten so cushy. And when humans don't have real problems, they create problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's almost like our success has become our downfall because of so many years of quantitative easing. It's been a long time without, you know, we pulled out of Iraq a number of years ago and it's just like, shit's gotten too good up until Mm -hmm. 2020. Shit got too good. It's like 16 years they quantitative eased, I think. It's like, you don't think that was too much? Imagine running steroids for 16 years, no cycle off. It's like, what did you expect? So we're seeing kind of the inverse swing of that. This is my weird Mac combining this conversation with more of like the macro economy and mm. culture over time. But it's fascinating to me. And I think we're due for, we're at the tail end where things are like, what in the hell is this really like this clown world? Is this how life's going to be? I think it's a snapshot. And I think in five to 10 years, we're going to be on the other side of very significant adversity. And that shifts a culture and it Mm. typically brings them together. And that's what heals polarization. We're so polarized right now because things have gotten so fucking good. You know what will kill polarization immediately? War. Mm -hmm. Guess who will start fucking hugging and singing kumbaya if us, China and Russia go to war? The left and the right. Mm-hmm. all races. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's like course. when things are too good, we'll fight each other. But the second conversation of Putin aiming a nuke at us and we declare a war or something, people will get their heads on straight real quick mm-hmm. and realize perspective. They'll stop so- arguing about genders and they'll be like, oh, fuck, I'm an animal on a swirling rock. And there's all these other countries that are competing for dominance. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with it. I think that this is going to be a really challenging decade while at the same time have some of the greatest generational wealth transfer opportunities we've ever seen. And that that adversity is going to groom us by the time we're 40 to be fucking strong. And I think that the children that we will have are not going to be weaker than we are if that plays out. If adversity doesn't ramp up, they're going to be weaker than we are. That's what we're seeing, right? With the Gen Z. But if shit shifts... That's, I don't think people, you know, realize how top down that will affect things. Oh, yeah. I had like eight questions and I just lost them. <laughs> that was a lengthy rant. It was fantastic. I kept trying to hold on to a question and then I would have a, note, a new one pop up. But I think the one thing that stood out to me the most, one is if we were to look at the growth or how quickly we're having turnings now or revolutions now, right? You look at our four industrial revolutions that we had, right? We had the steam engine lasted, I think, 111 years. Then we had the combustion engine, which lasted 94 years. And then we went to like automated things that lasted 40 something years. And then we went to computer systems all across the board that lasted nine years. And now we're in AI. So like our industrial revolutions are getting shorter and shorter. Our exponential growth in society is getting faster and faster. Our ability to collectively heal is getting faster and faster and faster. So do you think that these cycles of war and then us not being at war and finding war within ourselves, right? We have this like this almost war wound as a collective in humanity. Do you think that we start to see that heal over time if we can continue to have more people prioritize their own healing 
and step up as leaders in this hero journey to kind of correct this, you know, because they say every seven years, I really believe probably 90% of people listening to this or watching this is this alchemist. And they say that every seven generations in a family line, an alchemist is born, somebody who heals all the trauma, you know, breaks all the curses and really moves the lineage in a much better direction. And I can't, you look at every star that is aligned for where we're at, what we're going through, the archetype that we're in. It's really hard to think that we don't have a world full of alchemists who are here to really change the entire trajectory of the cycles that we've been experiencing as human beings, in my opinion. And that's just my thought. I guess maybe that could be like my hope for a better world, so to speak. Yeah. But what happens when eventually everybody heals all of their trauma and, you know, racism pops up from a very small group and everybody just says, shut up, we don't do that anymore. And it just immediately diffuses it. What happens when we stop being reactive and engaging? What happens when these very softly raised boys are now men and have the access to press a nuke button? You know, what happens when that's no longer the case anymore and we've all healed and start really focusing on building a new world? Do you think that that's coming in the future of our timeline? Love this convo. We're going to go a completely different direction now. So I just gave a pretty thorough fourth turning lens. I've never really spoken on. I always speak on the 80 to 120 year cycles, but I've never gotten into demographics and broke down the kind of US, our grandparents, parents. That's one lens. The reason that that lens plays out, and it's not that the book talks about this, this is my own awareness. The reason that that even can happen and continues to happen and has not ever broken trend is because humans have egos. Mm -hmm. That's why. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's hope for our generation to transcend their ego. I think you could take it that way. Yes. Because I'm looking beneath what you're saying. That's what would be needed. Mm -hmm. I have the same hope, but I would never bet my money on it. I'll say that the wealthiest people in the world are all in that that human nature will never change. So does that just mean because they're the wealthiest people in the world, you should listen to them on everything? No, but it is eye opening to me. You know, you occasionally you'll hear Charlie Munger or Ray Dalio ask a question at one of their shareholder meetings about obviously not the way that we're having this conversation, but it's they're really asking the same thread of, you know, how are you so certain that, you know, history is going to repeat itself? And they always go back to really what they're saying and what they're getting at in their answers that. Well, human nature doesn't change because humans don't change. Mm-hmm. And though they don't use the words we use in the you know spiritual and online space that... Sure. I think people aren't empowered to change, right? This kind of goes back to... It's actually full circles. Everything you and I have talked about in this entire podcast of like lack of empowerment, asking yourself the same questions. And like, if people can't change, what the fuck's the point? I think that people are so desperate to not change. They want the world to change for them. We see this in the masculine thing that we talked about. Well, I don't want to change as a man to actually be of value and provide for a woman and treat her as a queen and check my ego and realize that there's competition out there. Like I want her to change, right? I don't want to change in my energetics and actually show up differently and actually be valuable for people to follow me on social media and give me business. I just want to get a ton of followers and have people pay me for knowledge that they don't even think that I have. So do you think that 
if we empower people to be able to change, to like really show people, and obviously people have to be ready for it, right? But if we can really give that power back to the average person that is being taken away from the, you know, big corporations that think for them, do you think that we see a faster turning with them? Because I think our community here on YouTube and the spirituality community is a little bit different. I think everybody watching this is obviously significantly more susceptible to a change like that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be this far into a video. But for the average, you know, Reddit user with five fake profiles to go like their comment when they post on something. Do you think that person can be empowered to actually change instead of like thinking that the world needs to change for them first? So you asked two different questions. You asked, do I think that the turnings will speed up? Mm -hmm. No. The other question, do I think that those of us who are living disempowered place are not or kind of stand a chance at shifting that? I'm like maybe offensively realistic for a spiritual guy, right? Like for the space that I teach in, I think I'm sometimes offensively realistic. And I say that to preface like society exists on a bell curve. Mm. You ever seen those statistics? You find it everywhere you look in any conversation we're talking about, whether it's plotting IQ, plotting income, plotting anything. Do you get what I'm getting at? Yep. You have a vast majority in the middle or just about average. You have a tail that's below average and you have a small tail that's above average. And you see this in anything. You see this in if we're measuring status, if we're measuring wealth, if we're measuring health, if we're measuring height, if we're measuring weight, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what. You see it everywhere. So I view this as kind of a universal law in a sense. And I just talked about this in the AI podcast. I even put a bell curve on the thing because I was talking about universal basic income and how I believe that's coming down the pipeline and people are going to cheer for it just like they cheered for stimulus until they realize what it means to accept privileges from daddy. Yep. Well, here's the plot twist with that. I could already see people in my comments saying this. So I prefaced it in the video. And I said, when I talk about this, I don't think it's realistic, fair or empowering anyone. If I sit here and put out a YouTube video where I let people know, okay, all of you need to start massively changing your mindset, skill set, environments, Mm -hmm. attitudes, and habits, or else in five years, you're not going to have a job. Okay, go. Mm -hmm. Zoom out from like who we follow on Instagram and who Mm -hmm. you network and communicate with on a weekly basis. Keep zooming out. Zoom out to the average person in your city. Now zoom out to the average American. Now zoom out and look down on the world. Do you really think that it's realistic to say that so much of the planet is elevating its consciousness in the same way that me and you have been in such an aggressive and short timeline that turnings are now going to be shorter. I don't think so. I think eventually, I think just, you know, it's really hard for me to feel as though eventually we would stop having that. And, you know, that's obviously my optimistic thinking that everybody's going to have eventually paths that, you know, maybe you and I have had spiritual awakenings. And and I hate to say being aware of self because there's always another level to go up yeah, with that. Yeah. You know, just I have committed this, to the journey of. Yeah. You know, I feel like I maybe I just have this super optimistic view of how the world can be. And yeah. that really dilutes. And, you know, if that makes me a little bit more ignorant where we actually will be in a hundred years, then so be it. You know, I won't be around to see that. But, you know, there's just this part of me that I genuinely have to believe that people will and can change, you know, to that large scale. There are certain beliefs that I have that I'm very aware aren't statistically likely, Mm -hmm. but I ingrain them over and over because they Mm -hmm. create my reality. And that's actually a life hack. Yeah, definitely. So, 
I do that too with things. And I can understand like if that feels cynical, then, you know, don't study history. Like that, that's why I'm saying I'm offensively. I used to have that belief until I was like 26-ish. I was mm-hmm. deep in the spiritual like you know, I constantly talking about it, so I'm not going to bore anyone, but I was like, you know, denounce the world, looking into going to like Tibet. Yeah. I was abstinent for two and a half years. Like I was going hard two to three meditations a day. I had like, I was in some crazy states, you know, juicing mm-hmm. every day, tried out no meat, all oh, the things. Oh, I remember the juicing phase. I was in one as well. Was- yeah. So I just doing all the things. And I remember all I used to do was have conversations with people who imagine this reflected my desired reality back to me. Mm -hmm. And it was always a conversation of like, this is it. Like the planet's waking up. And it's like, don't you think they said that in the 60s on LSD? There's a ton of documentaries about it. Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, they got kicked out of Harvard. Is either Stanford or Harvard. Do you know about this? Yeah. So they got kicked out for trying to introduce and study LSD and teach on it a little bit. I think you see anything where people are trying, especially like very well known. You can see Jordan Peterson is this one. You know, he's getting his license removed because he's actually just has public eyes on him now. And he's saying polarizing things that people actually need to hear. And so it's very triggering to societies that make money on people being in despair and people not being empowered to actually wake up and say, well, shit, maybe I can change all of these things for myself. Mm -hmm. And so they start just removing these leaders, these incredibly, again, they should be fucking ashamed of themselves. Yeah. So my, to finish what I was saying about that, it's just like, I was hardcore, kind of like a spiritual optimist is what I would call it. Because I had to develop this self-centered spiritual view that my inner experience was the world's experience. I spent so much time inside shifting my own reality. You can start to develop this like spiritual narcissism. It's like a God complex. You go in and you heal all this shit and you start manifesting. You're like, I'm not even the same person. This is crazy. I'm not even a person. And you're like, (laughs) if I'm going through this and then everyone that I'm, you know, using cognitive bias to attract around me is reflecting. Mm -hmm. that back to me. It's like, holy shit, the world's, this has never happened before. This is crazy. No one even knows about this. And it's like, but every single generation thinks that. Then and I, and I, I made my... podcasts about it. It's on both sides. I'm not trying to be yeah, no, cynical. 100%. I just 100%. made a podcast about, I actually laid out the last hundred years. And I think I laid out 12 to 16 examples of times that they said the world was going to end, like genuinely. Yep. Like, do you remember like the anthrax yeah. shit? Y2K, you remember swine there's, flu? There's, you remember I mean, there's Y2K. So remember the Aztec calendar? Yep. Like seriously, when it turned Y2K, like technology didn't work for a bit of time because they the clocks weren't programmed past then because they were genuinely not anticipating humanity being here. And that like freaked <laughs> everyone the fuck out. Like this was real shit. So it was just like, it's cool to study that stuff because it, it has helped me like after all the healing, 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 like ground myself back down to like, I realized I'm projecting my experience on the world and we all do it. Right. That's the human experience. It is. And so, but here's the thing, we're both in the game of wealth and that's like the biggest cognitive block Yeah, is if you project your experience onto the markets, you're going to lose. Yeah. So that's what's brought me around is like, I'd say Ray Dalio was like really helpful for me. Like His really book. opened my eyes to like, I can't continue to be like airy fairy. Like I'm going to manifest millions of dollars in these markets. Right. It's like, that does not work. You'll get it eaten alive. 
You're playing against people that have like studied thousands of years. Like they've pumped tens of millions of dollars into analyst teams and researched the last thousand years. The fucking Gregorian age, they researched the Romans. They know everything about everything. And then they create algorithms around that. And you're going to just sit in a chair and like manifest this experience because internally it feels right. So now this question even becomes further because if the, if the people are paying tens of millions of years, what's the guy's, the law, it's like technology improves itself. Like yeah, Moore's everything. law, that was what I Moore's was law. teaching on. So yeah. it's like literally if you take everything that you just said about these guys who spend the tens of millions of dollars to get all this knowledge and have analysts, well, now we have AI. So you're going to plug all of that into an AI that's going to start trading for you. And then that AI is going to give you, dude, I have an AI Forex trading bot. I think I've maybe put 17K into the account. The thing does $200 a day on average for me. I was going to say they're pretty good, right? It's just cranking. Every time I log in, I'm up 200 bucks. And you know, yeah. you put that in, that's a little over $6,000 a month of passive income from nothing. And to think that ad AI is not going to continue to get better and better and better oh, is yeah. crazy. So now it almost can become where like AI could even start manifesting wealth for you. You know, yeah. you're going to get to the point. And then the conversation even starts to become like, does money even exist anymore? If AI can just literally generate you a million dollars in a heartbeat, you know, what's the new thing going to be? That's actually the conversation I was trying to have in the tail end of the AI oh, really? podcast. I'm only 10 minutes in. So well, sorry. No, I didn't see. I didn't directly propose that question. I just love that you Mm. just brought that up because that tells me that we're thinking, extrapolating out in the same ways. That's the question to be asking. Like, it's not the case right now, but it's going to be the case. And that was actually my thesis for universal basic income. Mm. Money is going to shift. And that was why. So I brought up Ford and I explained, or not Ford, Rockefeller. And I explained that whole education system super briefly. I've already done it a million times. But he literally created the concept of trading your time for money just to fill his factories and his oil businesses and such. It was just propaganda campaigns. He hired the same guy that did Hitler's in Nazi era. Little known fact. And that's only 120 years old, 100 to 120 years old. So we're like, because we don't study history, we think that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. But soon, because of technology, and they were not anticipating this, people act like they created technology to enslave us and we're all heading into a dark abyss and blah, 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 AI is the devil. But it's the very thing that they created, but then it opened Pandora's box. Do you really think Mm -hmm. they were anticipating everyone being able to have a voice and you being able to access leaked documents and CIA stuff and FBI stuff and the dark web and podcasts and everyone having a voice and Andrew? Tate, like, do you really think they were anticipating that? So it's the very thing that maybe they were trying to use to oppress us, but it opened Pandora's box. And now we're in a place where our relationship to money, this is what I was particularly saying is our relationship to money and how we relate to it. Like you could say Mm -hmm. society's current belief is I need to trade my time or labor for it. Yes. Is going to completely shift. And there's not going to be a need for that anymore because we're Mm going to evolve out of if it was the industrial age and then it's been the information age. Now we're in the automation and artificial intelligence age. In this age, they don't fucking need you. You're actually costly because their margins Mm -hmm. will triple if they get a robot rather than you and it works 24 7 so you're gone sit on the couch we'll give you a monthly stipend and we don't actually need to harvest your life force energy or time anymore for labor now the relationship to money gets crazy I think that you're 1000% right. I think that this is where a lot of people, because this is my big shift with entrepreneurs of energetics in their business is most people, and they usually come to me from other business coaches, 
it's a very business centric focus. How can we reduce costs? How can we increase margins? How can we make more money short term over time? And it stops focusing on the customer or employee experience of the company. Now you're at a point where if you're being super short sighted with your business margins or trying to get some money or extra money, and you're not worrying about improving the customer experience, you are going to get left behind by an exponential technology that shoots up. And then the customer is going to go to them for a better experience for a cheaper price. So instead of people in business, if any entrepreneurs are looking here, it's like, if you can maybe take a small hit on a margin, but it greatly improves your customer experience and you're thinking about what the customer needs before they even know they need it, you're not going to go out of business with all of this massive change. But if you see yourself caught in a Kodak moment, you're going to go hey. out of business, yeah. right? You know, Kodak, right? Kodak had a yeah, really billion dollar... Turn their cheek to digital cameras, right? Yeah. And then a multi-billion dollar company They're went like, bankrupt. That's a fad. They called it a, in a fad. Way, They're not, yep. I'm not investing in that because they got too stuck in their own way. They didn't want to innovate. They didn't want to yeah. look around what was happening. They didn't want to pay attention and they weren't customer focused. They were business yeah. focused. We're the best. Nobody's going to go anywhere instead yeah, yeah, of yeah. how can we improve this further? So I think like you, we have exponential AI growth, exponential business growth and wealth is going to come from getting away from how to increase margins and going into how can I increase client experience and employee experience because that's going to bring you more clients, more referrals. They're going to stay longer and that's going to give you more revenue. Mm. I really like that approach and be annoying and tie that into the whole fourth turning <laughs> thing that we were saying. That go fits ahead, go perfectly ahead, as well because the whole demographic thing, like when times are good, businesses underserve. Think about yep. that. When times are good, debt is cheap. Businesses underserve. When times are the absolute worst, that is the best time for customer service because it is out of necessity. If you want to survive this recession and you're launching a business or you're in business and you want to make it to the other side, what are you doing? You are tripling the fuck down on your service and you're doing the things that got you there in the first place mm -hmm. that when shit is cushy, you stop fucking doing that. Now, me and you, you don't, but most businesses, especially big businesses, do. And you have to be able to provide certainty during times of uncertainty. And when you do that, you stop becoming an expense for people and you start becoming a necessity for people. Mm -hmm. And that is just the best principle anybody can take away from trying to how to run your business is right there. Make yourself a necessity, not an expense. Yeah, that's really good recession proof advice. That's a process. Easier said than done, but it's what you want to sit with. I think we're probably coming to the fourth turning of this podcast. I think we're like three and a half hours in. Three hours in, but we didn't start Let's recording go. for a while. So probably uh -oh. 2.45. Uh -oh. Nice. 2.30, 2.45. But yeah, what we can episode. wrap things up. Why don't we... We hit on all our main points, all our main topics, but... You want How about this? Kinda... Let me ask you a final question for people and you can ask me a final question for people and we'll pop off. All right. So if you had to give, let's go, because I'm sure most, nah, I guess not really, because you kind of have everybody who le learns common law and stuff, not necessarily specifically entrepreneurs. So I guess who, just for anybody watching the Yeah, we're podcast, like 50%. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we're like 80% entrepreneurs, 20%. Yeah. You got uh, the more business focused. Yeah. You're helping people. Yeah. Ours is, is like they come in, they get red pilled and then they're like, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize part of not being a slave means 
I can't allow another man to dictate if my family eats or starves. Yeah. Now I'm interested in entrepreneurship, but you kind of yeah. have the people who are already doing 5K, Correct. 10K a month and they want to scale. So it's just yeah. a little different. We have brand new business owners too. Anyways, anyways. So I guess for anybody just listening or watching, tuning into the podcast, because I think the biggest thing is there's a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of fear around this yeah. recession coming up. And like maybe people are already struggling in business and now they're frantic because they're like, I need to get myself established before that. What's one to three, like just key things for them to focus on going into this recession for themselves. Mm. And is this more for like your audience, people who are... No, this is a collective audience. This is just the person watching this podcast right now on YouTube. Okay. But where are they at? And just need a little more context for... Are they like ground zero? They have no business sense? Let's say ground zero. Maybe they just started a business and it hasn't really picked up yet. They're not really fully confident in their ability to be successful in it. Okay. Get out a piece of paper and make a list of everyone whom you have a strong level of influence over. Me and Nick were talking about this before we started filming. We I'm seeing this a it. lot right now. Well, you really just set me up. So this is the main thing I'm going to talk about. I don't think it. like I think you asked for three. I'm giving you one, but I want to go deep with it. The only reason that me and Nick both have recession proof businesses is because we've spent years developing enough influence, trust, and rapport to where, for example, Nick not too long ago started his mastermind to go from like zero, like it's just an idea. You're not really clear on how it's going to be. There's so much you still have to work out and test and iterate to go from that to your first, like, let's say 50 members. That's the hardest. Mm-hmm. The first 25, 50, whatever size you're at. But, and I say that for the viewer, not you, Nick, to get that first core group. That's the fucking hard part. And mm-hmm. that is the part that has the highest you're going to get the most ROI and the highest value from your core ride or die people who you have the most influence over. And I don't mean influence. Like, for example, if I went on Instagram right now and I was like, hey, guys, can you please like this post or save this post? Like, sure. Hundreds of people will help me out if I've ever given value to you. That's one level of influence. But if I say... I'm creating this offering and it's my life's work and I'll absolutely change your life, but I'm not going to tell you much more about it. How many people are signing up mm-hmm. or filling out the application for that? That was the only reason I was able to launch and massively scale the LUC. I mean, I started it two weeks before the world shut down. So mm-hmm. I've only known, think about this, Nick. I actually haven't even thought about this. I've only known <laughs> growing it in a recession, in turbulent ass times. And actually that worked massively in my favor because I learned to build it through adversity and position it and structure it as a recession-proof business, which maybe I wouldn't have if things were cushy and then the Correct. tables turned, I might've been screwed. Correct. So this conversation of influence, if you sit down right now and you're struggling to name out five people, 10 mm-hmm. people, because the barometer that I'm referencing when I say that is like, really, what am I saying here? Because you might be thinking, well, Jeremy, if I haven't started the business yet, I can't list who I have influence over in relation to that business. I'm not even saying in business. Business is just a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you'll notice if you study entrepreneurship, there's such an overlap between personal development and entrepreneurship, spirituality and entrepreneurship. Because who the fuck is going to follow someone who doesn't even know themselves who doesn't command attention, who doesn't express confidence, who doesn't have good people skills, they don't have the right mindset, et cetera, right? So 
I think the hardest thing to do in business, and you would probably attest to this, Nick, like most people, let's say they're stuck at 5K a month to go mm-hmm. from five to 50, huge gap, right? Right. They don't really need much in terms of systems. You don't even need a team at that level. Usually people don't have enough influence. And what mm-hmm. is that? Like, let me get a little more tactical on how that manifests in different ways. There's a bucket where it's like, you just don't have enough interest in your offer. Don't blame the algorithm. If you don't have people who you can go directly reach out to, maybe you've worked with them in the past and hopefully you over-delivered, that's influence. That's rapport. That's how you create customers for life. Or maybe you've never done an offer, so you're like, I don't have that. Do you provide value in, in every situation that you're in? When I have a relationship with someone, I am always providing them value. To me, what's the point of the relationship if I'm not? I actually feel uncomfortable. I think we've talked about this, Nick. I feel uncomfortable letting someone provide value to me if I don't give them more what I perceive to be more value or equal value. I feel weird. That's a reciprocity gene in human beings. Yes. So part of it is natural. And then you can like supercharge it, right? When you start to become a more valuable person, because then others Mm -hmm. will perceive the value you're offering is like, oh, you're not just a nice person. You're like, you just told me something that's going to make me $10,000 or that's going to help me feel more peace in my life or whatever. So that's definitely a piece of it here. But there's this other camp of people that maybe you have clients and such, but like you're not able to charge what you want. And once again, Mm -hmm. how much influence do you really have over someone if you charge your worth you're concerned that they won't stick around or they won't stick around. And so most problems business owners have is client acquisition and client retention. We mm-hmm. could say those two. So whether you're new or you're 5K, 10K a month, 20K a month, whatever, those are going to be two of your biggest issues is client acquisition and client retention. Well, influence solves both of those problems. And As I want to clarify fulfill- that I'm not saying, well, see, fulfillment can be bucketed in with client retention. Because if you don't fulfill, you inherently will not retain. I think this goes just a quick, 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 quick segue. And I'll let you right to just what we said about being more client experience focused than the business revenue focused, right? Mm-hmm. If you focus on having more influence and your fulfillment is better, you retain more clients and you get more clients because the clients that you're serving, you're posting about your service more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But ultimately, I want to kind of like last thing I'll say here and then we can, I'll ask you something. I want to zoom right. out like Chris bigger than just, right bigger than just like any particular business and how to get your clients. It's like, I'll put it this way. If you can get yourself to a point, if you can become the person you need to be, back to when we were talking about be, do, have. If you can become the person who has a list of 100 to 200 people you could write down on a list that would actually follow you into war, not only will you never go hungry again for the rest of your Mm -hmm. life, but you could quite literally start any business, any brand, any nonprofit, any club, cult, mission, whatever, and automatically get it off the ground. Mm -hmm. Because the hardest thing to build, the most valuable asset to me, customers, money, or an influence list is an influence list. And I've been working on that since I was 20. Part of that influence list was built by offering services before I even charged anything. You know what? I'll do this for free. I want the practice, the testimonial. You're going to be my guinea pig. That builds rapport. I gave that person way more than I asked for. So guess what? That person probably still thinks very highly of me to this day. Now, that's not a tactic. That was literally what I wanted to do. But it just so happens that that is what creates influence. Then there were phases where I was charging way less than I was delivering as a fitness coach. And then once someone started working with me, they got to see like, oh shit, you're like super fucking real helpful and you're not like, you know, 
you're not a scam artist or you're not like how a lot of people on social media are. You really care. You give me your personal number and you go above and beyond and you really want to help me. And that built influence. And you do that over enough years. By the time I went to launch the Level Up Collective and it looks like from the like of it, you've had the same experience. I already had that list Mm -hmm. and that was what helped get me off the ground. Then I just needed a shot from new people to prove I'm trustworthy. I have your best intentions at heart. So when I'm saying influence, don't get a twist. I'm not talking about fucking followers. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about how they refer to Elon Musk as influential. The media doesn't need to cover you. I'm not talking about that. That's fake stuff. I'm saying when no one's around, what do people say about you? How do they perceive you? Do they defend you? Do they think extremely highly of you? If they have a problem and they really need help, are they calling you? If they're Mm -hmm. not, That means you're not perceived as valuable enough in that area to them. Why would Mm -hmm. they follow you into war? Why would they pay you? So that's, I think it was the fact that I started in network marketing at 20 and got just shitted on. You know, you're hitting up old friends and they're like, hey, I think this is a scam or like whatever, like won't give you the time of day. And it was like, you know why that business failed? Because of me, I learned quickly. Like the company taught us over and over and over. There was this phrase of you're selling yourself. Stop focusing on the product. You know, you'd be nervous. You're on the phone and you get all, oh yeah, it has this. It's super healthy, full multivitamin. None of that matters. I was doing that because it's like, I don't have shit to show for myself. What the fuck am I? Why would they follow Mm -hmm. me? And they're right. So I had to become someone who's worth listening to, who's worth subscribing to on YouTube, who's worth collaborating with or being friends with. Like same with you, right? You had to become someone. You have to earn that. And then the reciprocity factor is that tends to grant you people trust you. Mm. People know what you've done for them in the past or the value you give freely. Like if someone just has a five minute conversation with me, they're usually like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting all that. Thank you so much. I just asked you what's two plus two. And you just told me, you know, the quantum now theory. I'm a, now I'm a slave and a natural born person. And I had yeah, no yeah, idea. Exactly. <laughs> so it's that. And it's like you do that everywhere you go. And all of a sudden, people so many listen. people's perception of you is like, they're just always giving more value than they're asking for. They're always adding, never bringing negativity into my life. They're always seeking to leave a positive impact whenever they interact with me. That is the secret of you know business success. It's like, for example, I don't need social media anymore. Like I could be off of... If you guys Mm -hmm. haven't noticed, my social media has shifted to now this is like something that is equivalent of like home videos. Like I'm sure you've heard Gary Vee talk about like, it'll be really cool in, you know, a hundred years to have like some of your lineage a documentation. and your whole yeah. life is on there. That's been my intention before I came on YouTube. That's all that it is. This is my life's work only. So, and that's my focus with why I'm on social. Like I could already not be on Instagram. I could already not be on TikTok. I could really just be putting up my life on my best teachings on YouTube and then referrals and that's it. Mm. But you don't start there. So it's, I guess the message was nuanced, but it's work on your influence list every day. And if that's four people and you're feeling sad, honor that and then start working on what you need to do to double that. Mm. to 10x that, et cetera. Who do you need to be? How do you need to show up? What environments do you need to put yourself in? What area can you add massive value to others in? There's got to be something. I don't care if it's fucking coding or how much you know about the Illuminati or vegan cuisine or fitness or whatever, but there's something that you can really, really influence people in. You can build their trust. You can help people. Just start helping anyone you meet with that issue. Help them for free. Help them more than anyone else has ever helped them. 
And if you do that, one day you'll look up and you'll have more money, influence, and goodwill, which is an asset you can extract at any point, than you know what to do with. And the irony is at that time when you look up and realize that, you don't need to extract it. So that's my super long-winded answer. Yes, it was. But I've been that's wanting branding. to talk about that. You know that. Yeah, it was good. Thing. It's it a was big good. Deal. That's branding. Literally. Influence is branding. Like everything you saw, it's like how somebody can brand themselves first. I love it. Phenomenal. Cool. Now I need to think of a question that you can rant on. You can think about it. I'll add one thing to the branding thing while you think, because I think the influence in branding is very important for whoever's listening to get at here. You know, the branding side of things is, you know, kind of going back to what I was talking about, about customer experience being an all time high, you know, say like, you know, you have somebody who signs up for your company and the second you guys sign up, right, they get off the phone with the sales rep and now they have initial buyer's remorse. They're super scared, but you send them a video recording directly to their phone. Hey, so glad that you just signed up. Hey, go into the group, introduce yourself. I'll be the very first person to comment on your post. So you take five minutes of your time and you actually wait and you see this person introduce themselves and then maybe you and a couple other people immediately respond. So they automatically feel super at home, super warm, super engaged. And now you've replaced their buyer's remorse experience with a massive, holy crap, dopamine, I'm included and I'm super valuable. On top of that, we email them a $25 Amazon gift card. Hey, thanks for choosing us. Amazing. Now, my client success manager has every single client's birthday. And on their birthday, we send them a $10 Starbucks gift card. And then when they leave, if they don't want to re-sign, like, hey, I'm going to take a step away. Awesome. Send them another $20 Starbucks gift card afterwards. Hey, thanks so much for using us. That's branding. That's things that take away from margins a little bit, but actually just is super fucking kind to the people that you're working on. You're like overly being nice to them because you're like, dude, hey, thanks so much for trying us. Hey, it's your birthday. Hey, thanks so much for trying us again and you're leaving us. What is that person going to say about your company, about your brand, about your influence on them when they're like, dude, holy shit, like these people really fucking care. And those are those little things that I think reinforce a brand and the customer and employee experience, which can generate you more revenue than just trying to grow business revenue. Mm, That's a gem. That right there, I'm telling anybody here who has like a service-based business, that model that I just said, a sign-on gift card, a birthday gift card, and a sign-off gift card, that model right there will make you more money than almost anything else you implement in your business. Yeah. We forget that we're dealing with humans. So we try to Mm -hmm. tweak numbers, but we're dealing with humans, not numbers. Yeah. All right. Here's my question for you. Okay. It's not an audience question. It's a selfish question. I want to know your answer. That's okay. Do you think you'll be on social media in 10 years? I do. Yeah. I think I have very large things and projects that I'm working on right now that I do think one will still be around in 10 years, but actually are reliant on social media in order for them to happen. As you know, this is the first time I'm actually publicly talking about this. But as you know, I started the solar company. And you know, I have a whole story of why I started that solar company in the first place. But I also started that solar company to fund another project that I want to do. Something that I've always talked to people and entrepreneurs about is usually you're not going to get an audience with a multi-billionaire to ask questions. I've actually learned so much from having conversations with homeless people. I really have. What are you doing out here? I've met some amazing homeless men and women who literally just had rotten luck. And because they were homeless, nobody gave them the time of day. So what I'm actually working on project-wise right now is creating essentially a a series or a show or whatever you want to call it called Homegrown. And what I want to do is all my share profits from the solar company, I'm going to take them and I'm going to pay for the housing. Say like every quarter, I find one homeless person and I actually want to pay for their housing. I want to get them new wardrobe cleaned up. I want to give 
them a job, teach them solar sales and make them a self-sufficient human being again and document the entire process. Oh my God. That's one and of the I, dopest ideas I've ever heard. Thank you. It came to me like a really deep meditation of what I wanted to like kind of do with my wealth. And that was just really something that came to me that I just know what it's like to kind of make a wrong turn and be cast aside by everybody. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to not be homeless, but I know that if I ended up being homeless, that nobody would ever listen to me again because of the stigma that we have in society around them. And when I used to live in San Diego, I made my rounds walking and there was about five homeless people I would pass. I was friends with all of them. And what was crazy is I would walk up and I would see, I remember this one, I was with Jesse and this one guy that I know, he was like screaming at a wall, you know, just the typical thing that we see nowadays with homeless people kind of being crazy, screaming at a wall. And I walked up to him and I was like, yo, man, what are you doing? And he immediately snapped out of it and started talking to me like a normal person again. And that was a really big whoa for me of like, how crazy would I get if I was just ignored by human beings all day, every day, and nobody wanted to interact with me? Does that actually do something that crazy to psych? The second I talked to this person, he's normal again. It was a very interesting seed that planted in me. And, you know, you see people kind of like walking away from them and like keeping their distance every time you see a homeless person because, you know, and again, a lot of them do have some issues that are clearly prevalent that need some additional help. But I think that if we can start having some sort of like publicized viewing on, hey, look, this person just has rotten fucking luck. Let yeah. me like actually give them a shot to make something of themselves again and they do it. One, where does everybody else's excuse come from, from not being able to turn their life around? And two, can we start changing the conversation around the homeless problem that we see in the United States and see that, again, it's actually just a lack of empowerment issue? So I will be on social media in 10 years because I will be doing that. I might want to be involved in that if you're, Absolutely. I don't know if that's a solo project or how nope. you're wanting to go about that, but it's a collective project for sure. That's a really cool idea. Thank you. And that'll do like incredibly well on YouTube. Yeah, I think so. And I think eventually, you know, get some traction and be traction and get a little bit more eyes on it. We can start almost franchising it and have people doing it in every state. And then eventually over time, you know, obviously if the solar company is funding it, right, it's a business opportunity as well, right? By nature of the show growing, people will want to use our solar company more, which funds more people that we can help. And it just kind of becomes this own churning ecosystem of more solar energy in the world and more, you know, homeless people getting opportunities to turn their life around. I just, I don't see a bad side to it, to be mm -hmm. honest, you know? That's super dope. You're not doing that yet though? No. <laughs> That's a no, future we thing. We just launched the solar initiative. So, hey, if anybody's watching, you guys need solar, shoot me a message. We just launched the solar initiative. We got a handful of rep. We're kind of training them up and sending them out. You know, we just got like our first couple deals that went yeah. through. So, we're just like brand new, still need some systems to go through. But, you know, like I said, I've made all the money I need to make in this world. You know, you and I are in the same but we talked about this earlier. Somebody hands me a $5 million check. My life doesn't really change. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, can I take everything that I know, everything that I've done? Can I create a, one, a business to give other people jobs going into a recession? And two, can I use my wealth and my knowledge to help people who are homeless and actually make a true difference in the world? Yeah. Once you get the money thing out of the way, it's like, you realize what you're searching for is meaning and contribution connection. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, you mentioned your new business brand, whatever you want to call it, or however you want to categorize it, is Impact Industries. Correct. 
is that like a blanket for like, or is that just yeah. the mastermind or what's, so what's it's an, under impact? Yeah. Impact industries is our umbrella company. And then we do a bunch of things underneath it. We well, have a mastermind. Yeah. I just wanted to hear like what's involved in it. Yeah. So the main two things really are the mastermind and then my one-on-ones. Okay. And my one on one solar will be added or is the solar separate? The solar is actually separate. I have a partner in that as well. He's kind of like the brains of the solar on the brains and like business creation and stuff. So yeah, my main impact industries thing, like it kind of in the same thing. It's just like my mission statement for impact industries is being dedicated to help people unlock their true potential. So as long as any business I'm touching or any idea I'm touching can fall in alignment with that, then it's a good idea for me. So to wrap up, you want to tell the people where they can connect with you and anything you got going on that's timely. Well, we can put yeah. it in the show notes and yeah, like sure, that. sure, sure. So I run everything through Instagram, YouTube, and I just started a TikTok. It's like four days old. My Instagram is Nick Comodina, and my YouTube and my Instagram are both Nick Comodina underscore official. That's pretty much it. I mean, if people are interested, you know, if there's entrepreneurs here interested in, in the mastermind side of things, you can get that through my Instagram. Or if you want to work with me one-on-one, you can get that through my Instagram as well. And same for solar. So I kind of run everything just through social media right now. So that's where I'll connect with you guys. And I'll make sure that I get you whatever you need or wherever you need to go. Cool. Sounds good. We'll link here in our branding. We'll have both of our Instagram handles listed Sweet. under our faces. So that'll be the Instagram. And then you guys can find his other socials in, in the description. So I think that's a good wrap up for us. Three, a little over three hour convo. Touched on some solid stuff. Nothing surprising. Yep. It was a good convo. This felt just like a conversation that me and you were having. Like a lot of the topics explored are just like, I'm thinking these through in real time type things, you know? Yeah, definitely. Rather than definitely. teaching. So yeah. hopefully this is valuable for those. If you guys people. like it, make sure you drop a five star review on the podcast below and screenshot and tag us and whatever oh, else shit. you guys do. Yeah. Nick, the promo guy. <laughs> Branding. We'll see you guys in the next episode. We wish you an Later, amazing guys. day and peace and love everyone.